0: This meeting will come to order. Welcome to the March 1st meeting of the Budget and Finance Committee. I'm Supervisor Connie Chan, Chair of the Committee, and I'm joined by Vice Chair Rafael Mendelman. And uh, Supervisor Asha Safai will join us shortly. Today our clerk is Brent Halipa. I would like to thank uh, our SFGTV um Kalina Mendoza for broadcasting this meeting. Mr. Clark, do you have any announcement?
1: Thank you, Madam Chair. Just a friendly reminder for those in attendance to make sure to silence all cell phones and electronic devices so as not to interrupt our proceedings here in the chamber. Uh, The Board of Supervisors and its committees are convening hybrid meetings that allow in-person attendance and public comment while still providing remote access and public comment via telephone the board recognizes that equitable public access is essential and we'll be taking public comment as follows first public comment will be taken on each item on this agenda those attending in person will be allowed to speak first and we will take those waiting to telephone line for those watching channels uh 26 28 78 or 99 and sfgovtv.org, the public comment call-in number is streaming across the screen that number is 415-655-0001 Again, that's 415-655-0001, then enter the meeting ID of 2490-031-2076, then pound and pound again. When connected, you will hear the meeting discussions, but you will be muted and in listening mode only. When your item of interest comes up and public comment is called, those joining us in person should line up to speak, and those on the telephone should dial star 3 to also be added to the speaker line. If you are on your telephone, please remember to turn down your TV and all listening devices you may be using. Each speaker will be allowed up to two minutes to speak unless otherwise stated. Alternatively, you may submit public comment in writing in either of the following ways. Email them to myself, the Budget and Finance Committee Clerk at brent.jalipa at if you, if you submit public comment via email, it will be forwarded to the supervisors and also included as part of the official file. You may also send your written comments to US Postal Service or via the US Postal Service to our office at City Hall, that's one Dr. Carlton B. Goodlook Place, Room 244, San Francisco, California, 94102. And finally, Madam Chair, items acted upon today are expected to appear on the Board of Supervisors agenda of March 7th, unless otherwise stated. Madam Chair.
0: Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Um, before we call the first item, I would like to uh, remind the public that we have the budget and legisl- budget and legislative analyst report for items on the agenda today item number five six seven eight nine so for a total five items for those items, we will have the department presentation first, followed by the budget and legislative analyst report uh, so then then we will take questions and public comment. Mr. Clerk, please call item number one.
1: Yes, item number one, is a resolution retroactively authorizing the department on the status of women to accept and expend a grant from the California Department of Social Services for the commercial sexual exploitation of children placement and services program in the amount of $7 million for a three-year grant period from January 1st, 2023 through December 31st, 2025. Members of the public are joining us remotely and wish to comment on this resolution. Please call 415 655 0001 with the meeting ID of 24900312076. Then press pound twice. Once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. A prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand. And when the system indicates you have been unmuted, that is your signal to begin your comments. Madam Chair.
0: Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Uh, Today we have a verbal presentation by Nazini uh, Ro... Sorry, I'm gonna butcher your last name. Ro Dan Foster, Seniors uh, Program Manager from the Department on the Status of Women.
2: Good morning, Supervisor Chan and Supervisor Mandelman. I'm here today to request your support for an accept and expend resolution. You have all of the background and supporting materials in your packet, so I'll just share a few high-level details. The Department on the Status of Woman has been awarded a three-year, $7 million grant by the California Department of Social Services. This resolution is retroactive because even though we introduced the accept and expend as early as possible, we had to deal with an unusual amount of interagency delays as outlined in our memo. This grant builds upon the work of our previous CDSS grant, which expired at the end of last year. Our prior grant enabled our department to pilot various placements and service for youth at risk of or experiencing commercial sexual exploitation. This program has proven to be effective for low barrier access points like our multi-service center, the Hype Center, which is located in Potrero, and is allowing the state to partner with us in piloting a low barrier housing option for youth that we can done in collaboration with some of your colleagues that are working on, including closing down Juvenile Hall. The grant and program called SF-SOUL, which stands for Safety, Opportunity, and Lifelong Relationships, includes various components, including a home-based care model called Family and Me, a utilization of a coordinated response team that follows youth through their placements, an independent evaluation that looks at youth outcomes and a collaborative effort that works with various systems including child welfare, juvenile probation, public health, law enforcement, and community-based organizations with a goal of implementing in all nine Bay Area counties. Again, we respectfully request your support for this Accept and and Expand Resolution, and I'm happy to answer any questions you might have. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Um, Any questions? Uh, I I do have quick questions. Um, Does this uh, actually create a new position, and if so, what is the plan when the grant expired?
2: Uh, The position would end.
0: Oh, and the position would end. Yeah. Understood. Okay, and then what is the expected um, number of children or clients that you will be serving?
2: Um, So we're thinking between 36 and 50 youth Currently in San Francisco HSA, they do have around 40 to 50 youth that are identified as commercially sexually exploited. So,
0: And that would be um, 30-something youth each year or in total? In the total, program.
2: yeah. Um, but then for the low barrier, that's up to 300. Oh, wow, yeah. wonderful. Okay, thank you.
1: Of course. All
0: right, thank you. Seeing no more questions, uh, let's open this item for public comment.
1: Yes members of the public who wish to speak on the side and are joining us in person should line up now right along those curtains uh, for the, those listening remotely please call 415 one enter the meeting ID of 24900312076 then pound twice once connected press star 3 to enter the speaker line if you are already in the queue please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and there'll be a signal to begin your comments Seeing no in-person speakers here in the chamber, and... Okay, uh, we do have one caller on the line. Uh, Mr. Hsu, if you can can unmute our caller, please.
3: Good morning, Board of Supervisors. Uh, Thank you for allowing this public comment. My name is Francesca Gonzalez, and I am the Executive Director of Freedom Forward one of the collaborative partners of SF-SOUL under the Department of Status of Women. And I just want to share um, our deepest appreciation for the consideration for this Accept and Expand, or Expand, sorry, we are definitely excited about the opportunity to continue our partnership with SF-SOUL and DOSW and the other partners that are strategically under the collaborative to support our young people to prevent commercial sexual exploitation. I personally have been with the organization for about uh, a little over six months. And over that time, I have seen incredible partnership and advocacy on behalf of Nazmeen and her department. And we have been able to serve, um, again, over the past six months, roughly 20 to 25 young people in our prevention model at the Hype Center, which is one of the components of the initiative. It is a drop-in center. Um, multi-services with partners co-located to serve young people um, the way that they want and the way that they need in order for them to um, determine their own path to thriving and um, we are again greatly um, greatly uh, you know appreciative of your consideration for this and um, I would be more than willing to share um, a, a, um, a, a Sorry, a mission moment if I have time, but if not, I also understand.
1: Thank you, Francesca Gonzales, for your comments. Uh, Mr. C, do we have any more? No, we don't. Uh, Madam Chair, that completes our telephonic queue.
0: Thank thank you. Seeing no public comments, public comments is now closed. And uh, Mr. Clerk, I would like to move this item to full board with recommendation.
1: On that motion, to forward this resolution to the full board with a positive recommendation, Vice Chair Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. Member Safai, aye. Safai, aye. Chair Chan? Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes.
0: Thank you. The motion passes. Please call item number two.
1: Yes, item number two is a resolution retroactively authorizing the Department of the Status of Women to accept and expend a grant in the amount of 200000 from the Blue Shield of California Foundation. For a two year grant period from October 1st, 2022 through September 30th, 2024, to launch women's economic security pilot programs. Members of the public are joining us remotely and wish to comment. Please call 415 655 0001 with the meeting ID of 2490031 2076. Then press pound twice. Once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. A prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand. And when the system indicates you have been admitted, that will be your signal to begin your comments. Madam Chair.
0: Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Uh, today we have um, Kimberly Alice, Director of Department of Status of Women, um, here with us today. Thank you so much for being here.
4: Good morning, Madam Chair and uh, Supervisor Safai and Mandelman. Uh, the Department on the Status of Women is here today to submit a retroactive resolution for the Blue Shield of California Foundation Economic Security and Mobility Grant Program. The Blue Shield of California Foundation provided a notice of award letter on September 30th, 2022, for funding in the amount of $200,000 to evaluate the impact of economic supports, such as guaranteed income and micro grants on women's health, safety, and economic security, to advocate for the expansion of guaranteed income and or micro grants for survivors of domestic violence, human trafficking, and justice impacted women, and three to launch a micro grant fund for survivors of domestic violence, human trafficking, and justice impacted women. The grant term is from October 1st, 2022 through September 30th, 2024. The reason this item is being submitted for retroactive approval is due to a combination of delays. We had new staff who were new to the a and process, as well as the department needing the item to be reviewed by multiple inter-agencies and departments including the city attorney's office as well as the ethics commission. We respectfully ask uh, the board and the committee to approve the retroactive accept and expend request. Happy to answer any questions you might have.
0: Thank you. Do we have any questions? Um, I appreciate it. I think that it's very challenging and for us to, I know that all city departments are short staffed, including the city attorney's office, and trying to actually review all these uh, grant um, resolution and try to bring it forward without being retroactive. So I appreciate all the effort. Um, Thank you so much for all your work that, that you're doing. Seeing no more questions, let's go to public comment. Thank you.
1: Yes, members of the public who wish to speak on this item and are joining us in person should line up now. For those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001. Enter the meeting ID of two four nine zero zero three one two zero seven six and press bound twice. Once connected, press star 3 to enter the speaker line. If you're already in the queue, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted. And that will be your signal to begin your comments. Seeing no in-person speakers here in the chamber. And Madam Chair, we have no speakers in the, in the queue.
0: Thank you. Seeing no more public comments, public comment is now closed. Mr. Clerk, I would like to uh, make the motion to move this item to full board with recommendation. Please call the roll.
1: On that motion to forward this resolution to the full board with a positive recommendation, Vice Chair Mandelman. Mandelman absent. Member Safai. Safai, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have two ayes with uh, Vice Chair Mandelman absent.
0: Thank you. Um, actually,
1: or Vice Chair Mandelman? Aye. <laughs> Mandelman, I. There you go. Yes, we have three ayes.
0: Thank you, the motion passes. Um, Mr. Clerk, could you actually please call item number three and four together?
1: Yes, item. Items number three and four. Item number three is a resolution authorizing the tax collector to sell at public auction certain parcels of tax-defaulted real property. And item number four is an ordinance amending the administrative code to allow the tax collector to sell tax-defaulted non-residential commercial property after five years of non-payment of property taxes instead of after three years. Members of the public are joining us remotely and wish to comment on this ordinance and the resolution. Uh, Please call. 415 655 0001. Enter the meeting ID. Have 24900312076 and press bound twice. Once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. A prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand. And when the system indicates you have been unmuted, that will be your signal to begin your comments. Madam Chair.
0: Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Today we have Amanda Free from Chief of Policy and Communications from the Office of the Treasurer and Tax Collector's Office. Thank you for being here.
5: Thank you Chair Chan and supervisors, nice to be here. Um, Item number three is a resolution authorizing the tax collector to sell tax defaulted properties at public auction. Um, I'd like to ask the committee to approve the substitute list that was provided to the clerk. The list is the same as the one provided to each of you via email it just has some clerical cleanup since the original that was submitted to the board. And then we had one parcel that was removed from the auction because they paid in full Um, as background, the auction is governed by state law. Property becomes eligible for auction when an owner fails to pay taxes for five years. And we are required to offer properties for auction that have remained delinquent for nine years. The 325 parcels listed for auction today are a tiny percentage of the 210,000 total parcels in the city and county of San Francisco. Of the 325 parcels on the list today, there are nine that have structures or are on lots that could accommodate a structure, 32 timeshares, and the remainder are unbuildable parcels, such as very small sliver lots and underwater lots in the bay. We collect $3.3 billion in property tax payments annually and more than 99% of owners pay their property tax bills on time and in full. We have closely scrutinized each parcel before the board today. We thoroughly researched the physical characteristics and ownership history for each parcel listed for auction using property information available from the assessor and from the planning department. Additionally, we used our debt collection expertise to search publicly available and proprietary databases, city and county records, other governmental records, as well as social media and internet searches. We've sent regular mailings to the property and any other related addresses on record for the entirety of the time the taxes were delinquent. We've closely tracked our returned mail and worked diligently to identify and reach out to as many parties of interest as possible. For parcels with no known contact information, we take additional steps that exceed state requirements. Once this list is approved, we'll mail notifications to all contiguous parcels to make them aware of the upcoming auction, and wherever feasible, we also physically post on vacant parcels. We've taken additional steps for any occupied property where there could be an individual at risk of losing their home. We have referred six parcels to the city attorney's code enforcement team, six parcels to Homeownership SF, five parcels to the assessor, five parcels to the Public Utilities Commission, two to Adult Protective Services, one to the rent board, and one parcel to the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development. Sheriff's deputies have already visited each occupied property at least once to provide in-person notification. And then once approved by the Board of Supervisors, the list of parcels will be published in the newspaper of record and will be available on our website. Item number four uh, is an ordinance to allow the tax collector to sell tax-defaulted commercial property after five years of non-payment. And this will align and codify the period to sell tax-defaulted commercial properties with that of tax-defaulted residential properties. Happy to take any of your questions.
0: Thank you. Um, I understand that Supervisor Safai has questions.
6: Thank you. Uh, thank you, Ms. Freed. So I have two properties on the list that they're actually people occupied, so it's unlike many of the others that are vacant lots or underwater properties. Um, one of them looks like we talked about last year, potentially, but if you could give me an update on 547 Head, Head Street. I think I have notes here that they've, that the owners were making payments.
5: Yeah, so this is a property, the owner, you're correct, this was uh, on the list last year in polls. Mm-hmm. Um, and this uh, is, a, is a story that's not unlike many of the properties that we see where the original owner is long deceased. And so there was a lot of work that the resident had to do to to obtain Uh, legal title to the property. Right. Um, He has successfully done that and is in the very final stages of working with the California State Program that provides back property assistance. Uh, I believe it's called Cal HFA. I can find out exactly what that stands for. Um, And we expect him to be able to that for the state to provide payment in full for that property so it will not uh, be auctioned.
6: Right. So we can remove that one from the list.
5: It is certainly within your authority to remove it from the list, but it would also be removed once we receive that payment from the state. Um, yep. we, we have full indication that, that we will receive right. payment from the state.
6: So so I'll, I'll, I will make a motion to remove that one from the list. And then the second one is also is, I need a little bit more background on, and that's 41 Sears Street. That also has an occupied owner living in it. Um, Can you give me some uh, information on there? I understand that you said you're required if they haven't paid um, in the last nine years. However, this individual paid in 14, 15, and so they actually did pay a couple of those years, but they didn't pay the original year when the clock starts in 2013. They probably didn't know that that would impact when the property would be auctioned. So um, can you give me a little more background? Because it looks like from my notes that um, the sheriff just visited in January, so just a month ago, and that they were just referred to um, social uh, APS. But I don't know how long ago that was.
5: Sure. So I I don't want to share any information that might be considered you know confidential or sensitive. Um, I can tell you that the the city has been in contact with the owner of the home. Um, they're fully aware that the property is up for auction um, we believe that this person is eligible for a variety of assistance including the same, same program I just spoke about um, at the state mm-hmm. but will re- we'll require a lot of assistance and hand-holding to, to have her successfully go through that program um, so there are certainly resources available to this individual to, to be able to pay off the taxes and remain in their home.
6: That would be great. So then we'll remove this per, this one from the list as well. I would make a motion to do that.
0: No problem, thank you. And we actually have a couple of properties too. Uh, one is the um, 3548 to 3350 20th Street, um, upon the request of Supervisor Ronan, uh, as well as 3936 to 3938 Gary Boulevard, uh, from our district, that we would like to strike those two properties from the list as well. Do we have specific address addresses for those two properties? Um, the so ones that, that I just said?
6: Yeah, yeah. I said I, I read them into the record, but right? I can say them again, it would be. Um,
0: as we make the motion to strike yeah. those.
6: 41 Sears Street and 547 Head Street.
0: Great, Um, I would like to, uh, we have to go to public comments before we come back and um, finish with the motion. Uh, Any other questions? I actually do have one quick question. I just want to confirm for just the public. Once we actually remove these properties from the list, we, these property owners have one year, 12 months time from this time, from this point and on to pay up the taxes, however way, you know, channels and programs that they can receive or assistance they can receive to to pay this up. If they do not, in 12 months or in one year, this will come back to
5: the auction list, correct? <laughs> correct so the properties remain in power to sell status so at the next the next time that the city has an auction these properties will be back on the list unless that they've redeemed in full we typically hold auctions annually so you're correct um you know every every spring i come here um and so that's that's the general process i do want to note that their uh, balances will continue to grow during that time so they continue to um, add on penalties and interest over the um, over the course of the. Could year. you
0: just quickly state what the penalty and interest are based on, or at least percentage? Um, I'd have to get
5: back to you on that, no supervisor. Problem. I apologize. All good. Um,
0: I think that it ultimately, just make want to make sure these property owners are clear about you know that the the accrual rates of penalties and tax interest uh, over this time during this period uh, and that they only really have 12 months before they come come back on this list. Uh, With that, um, any other questions for item number four, which is the power to sell for the non-residential commercial properties? Seeing no questions, let's open up this to public comment. Thank you.
1: Yes, members of the public who wish to speak on these two items and are joining us in person to the lineup now. Uh, for those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001. Enter the meeting ID of 24900312076 and press pound twice. Once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. And for those already in the queue, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted, and that will be your signal to begin your comments. Seeing no in-person speakers here in the chamber, and Madam Chair, we have no speakers in the queue.
0: Thank you, I'm gonna do this uh, out of order a little bit because I realize that we have an updated list that was included, so let's make the motion to accept the updated parcel list first and then we'll go forward with the second motion to strike the properties as listed and named uh, in the conversation. Uh, Mr. Clerk, please call the motion to accept the updated parcel list.
1: Yes, on that motion, to amend the parcel list to strike the aforementioned addresses I've spoken into the record. Uh, Vice Chair Mandelman? Aye. Mandelman, aye. Member Safai? Aye. Safai, aye. Chair Chan? Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes.
0: Thank you. The motion passes, and uh, I move to strike the total four properties as list, as named uh, during this discussion.
1: Uh, Madam Chair, I think we just took the vote on that. that or I understood that, that the motion was to strike the, the properties off of the parcel list.
0: Understood. Okay. Okay. I didn't realize that was the, because when you mentioned the clerical error, all good. Yes. I thought it was two separate lists that we have to additionally strike out the four properties. Great. And uh, let's move this both item number three and four to full board recommendation
1: on that motion to forward the resolution and item number three, uh, with the updated parcel list, um, to the full board with, uh, with a positive recommendation and to forward the ordinance in item number four to the full board with a positive recommendation. Uh, Vice Chair Mandelman. Manelman, aye. Member Safai. Aye. Safai, aye. Chair Chan? Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes.
0: Thank you. The motion passes. Uh, thank you. And Mr. Clerk, please call item number five.
1: Yes, item number five is a resolution approving amendment number one to the agreement between the San Francisco AIDS Foundation and the Department of Public Health to provide HIV rental subsidies to increase the agreement by approximately forty one million for an amount not to exceed approximately fifty-one million to extend the term by eight years from june thirtieth, twenty twenty three for a total agreement term of july first, twenty twenty one through june thirtieth, twenty thirty one, and to authorize the Department of Public Health to enter into any amendments or modifications to the contract prior to its execution. By all parties that do not materially increase the obligations or liabilities to the city and are necessary to effectuate the purposes of the contract or this resolution. And members of the public are joining us remotely and wish to comment, please call 415 655 0001. Enter the meeting ID of 24900312076 and then press pound and pound again. Once connected, press star 3 to enter the speaker line. A prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand, and when the system indicates you have been unmuted, that will be your signal to begin your comments. Madam Chair.
0: Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Uh, today we have verbal presentation from Beth Neary, uh, Public Health Division, and Bill Blum. Yes, uh, Bill Blum. Uh, Director yes, of HIV uh, Health Services. Thank you so much for both uh, for being here.
7: Thank you. And and good morning, um, Madam Chair, um, as well as Supervisors Safai and Mandelman. It's a pleasure to be with you here today. Uh, We are here on behalf of SFDPH to request the approval in the amount of $51,075,213 for a 10-year total of funding, uh, including a 12% contingency for the San Francisco AIDS Foundation for housing subsidies for contract number uh, One uh, The current contract is at $4.36 million per year. The proposed annual budget also includes the cost of doing business resulting in $4.63 million annually. And as was mentioned, we'll be at, we would be adding eight years to the contract with an end date of 6-30-31 to get the 10 years allowable under the current solicitation authority. Um, The contract itself kind of has um, three components that serve a total of 330 clients annually. Uh, There is a standard rent subsidy uh, serving 244 clients with an average award amount of 890 monthly. Uh, People qualifying for this program are San Francisco residents with disabling HIV with extremely low income as defined by HUD, which is uh, 30% of median income in our area. Um, Primarily clients receiving this are referred from um, Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development, MoCD, and it's usually folks that are transitioning either from homelessness or from a residential care facility for the chronically ill or for a transitional um, residential care facility at at TRCF. (coughs) Uh, The second of the three programs is a shallow rent subsidy for 73 clients annually. The average amount is $433 monthly. Also for clients with extremely low income um, at HIV residents in San Francisco for folks that are at risk of losing their housing um, and that have a, a housing um, rent uh, burden greater than 50% of their total income. Um, and then the final of the three programs is a partial rent, rental subsidy, which is 13 clients, and the amount is average or 344 uh, monthly. Um, and it's for folks with a slightly higher um, um, uh Uh, annual income, um, and it's 50% of the median income. Uh, Again, these clients are primarily referred from OCD who are imminently in risk for homelessness. Um, We have, uh, I think in your packet, you've probably seen the last um, contract monitoring report. They did meet 100% of their contract uh, deliverables, including 90% of the unduplicated clients and 105% of the units of service. They also met their contract objectives, Greater than 75% secured appropriate housing, was actually 86%, and 100% had their eligibility checked within the contract year. I'll I'll say just a few brief words about the history and then the coordination with MoCD, because I think that was a question that at least one of the supervisors had. Um, so, you know, this has um, been funded through, originally funded through um, Ryan White Part A, a federal um, program. Um, and We know it goes back to the 1990s, but it kind of goes pre-computer stuff, so we couldn't exactly track down the year, but a very long time. Um, and then in 2007, a number of changes, um, including the elimination of, of, of an allowable service category for ongoing housing support. So, Ryan White Part A said you can't do this long-term and they were uh, in the process of implementing a 24-month lifetime cap um, which actually was going to include uh, residential substance use um, and then we also at the same time um, had a six million dollar reduction in our Ryan White Part A um, basically the program uh, the Ryan White Part A program expanded to include more jurisdiction but didn't commensurally increase the amount of funding so for the jurisdictions that had been receiving it a long time actually end up getting decreases. So that, for us, was a $6 million decrease. Um, and so the, the funding source for this was shifted over to the general fund um, with the support of, of Mayor Newsom as well as the Board of Supervisors, or your predecessors, I believe, at this point, um, to cover the rental subsidy program in its entirety to basically ensure that very low-income folks living with disabling HIV didn't become homeless or sort of could transition out of it. Um, So I guess my final word is is around coordination with MoCD. You know, um, um, there is a a parallel or sister program to Ryan White Part A, which is called HOPWA, Housing Opportunities for People with AIDS. Um, And Housing and Urban Development is a a federal agency that administers this um, program. Um, So uh, just for you all to know, we we coordinate very closely with MoCD. and uh, even more so now between Laguna Honda, um, as well as the, tran- uh, the transition of the RCFCIs to a, a different level, moving from a more medical model to a social model, and we go to their monthly meetings. Um, so that's the reason why we've, we've just historically administered it for a bunch of years. We have a current contract with an HIV health services with the vendor. In um, our understanding, there hasn't been any obstacles. In fact, I, I spoke with the director of the program this morning, and I think we're in good shape. So uh, I'll stop now, and if you all have questions.
8: Good morning, Chair Chan, um, members of the committee. Dan Goncher with the Budget and Legislative Analyst's Office. Item 5 is a proposed resolution that would approve the First Amendment to the agreement with the San Francisco AIDS Foundation, increasing the agreement by $41,667,580 from about $9.4 million to about $51 million and exercising all options to extend the term by eight years from June 30th, 2023 to June 30th, 2031. After competitive request for proposals process, the Department of Public Health entered into an agreement with the San Francisco AIDS Foundation in 2021 to provide rental subsidies to low income San Francisco residents with disabling HIV AIDS. According to the department, the San Francisco AIDS Foundation was the only organization that responded to the RFP The most recent program monitoring for this agreement was conducted in January 2022 as a desk audit in lieu of a site visit. The report indicates that the program did not have a wait list at the time of the review, and the program met 100% of its contracted performance objectives, 97.7% of its contracted units of service target, and 105.2% of its contracted unduplicated client target. Exhibit two on page four of our report shows actual expenditures expenditures for this agreement from fiscal year 2021-22 and estimated expenditures for the first seven months of the current year, which total $6,645,101. Projected expenditures for the last five months of the current year through through fiscal year 2030-31 are $44,430,112 as shown in exhibit two. Exhibit three on page five of our report shows the change uh, from the current year budget for this program, which increases from about 4.2 million to about 4.7 million in the proposed amendment. The current year budget is the base budget for the remaining portion of the contract. We do recommend approval.
0: Thank you. It sounds like a very excellent partnership. And Vice Chair Mendelman?
9: Uh, Thank you, Chair. Chan, and you may have addressed this, but I missed it if you did. Um, one of the things that the BLA report says is that there's no wait list, um, and I was curious what that, I mean, is are we completely meeting need, or like, why, what did that mean? Uh, yeah, I'll,
7: I'll I'll start and then maybe Beth has. You want to start? No, no, Go no. ahead. I'm, okay. <laughs> we're both introverts, so we're faking it here. Um, so um, no, we have not met all the needs right. of people living. You know, there are qualifications for this program, and you guys saw the income is super super low. Right. So you know, lots of folks are struggling. I think you know the median rent on a studio here is fifteen hundred, what's allowable. So. You know, a lot of folks are way below that, so it's it's partly people qualifying for it, and you're Mm. aware lots of more efforts are being made to help people in the next tier of income. But no, it's 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 really stringent to really target the very very low income folks. Did you want to add something?
10: Sure,
2: Um, and I'll add also that uh, part of how this program works functionally is that when there's an opening, so essentially when somebody moves out and off of the long term subsidies, then uh, then the vendor reaches out to MOHCD and asks if there's anybody on their list that could benefit from this. So it's somewhat of a so how, not keep, how not the referrals happen. they're not keeping a Yeah, they're sought out. So they're, they're always met very quickly, but I don't think that this vendor holds their own wait list right, because right, right. MOHCD holds the, that the larger ones.
9: All right, I'd like to be added as a sponsor. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Vice Chair Mendelman. I would like to uh, be added as a co-sponsor after uh, Vice Chair Mendelman's uh, sponsorship. And um, thank you so much for all the work that you're doing. Really uh, appreciate it. I think it's much needed for, well. um, for low-income com- community uh, under 30%. Yeah,
7: that, 30 and 50%. right?
0: 30 percent. to 50%. Thank you. Uh, let's open this up to a public com- comment.
1: Thank you, Madam Chair, members of the public who wish to speak on this item and are joining us in person should line up now. How for those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001. Enter the meeting ID of 2490 and press pound twice. Once connected, press star 3 to enter the speaker line. How for those already in the queue, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and there'll be your signal to begin your comments. Seeing no in-person speakers here in the chamber and Madam Chair, we have no speakers in the queue.
0: Thank you. Seeing no more public comment, public comment is now closed. I,
1: just,
6: I also would like to be added as a co-sponsor. Notice. Appreciate all the amazing work you're doing. Thank you.
0: Thank you. And uh, seeing that you have all the support from this body, let's move this uh, item to full board with positive recommendation. Mr. Clerk, please call to roll.
1: Uh, on that motion to forward this resolution to the full board with a positive recommendation, Vice Chair Mandelman. Mandelman, I, Member Safai. Safai. aye. Chair Chan? Aye. Chan, I. We have three eyes.
0: Thank you, the motion passes. Mr. Clerk, please call item number
11: six.
1: Item number six is a resolution approving the design professional services agreement with Mark Cavanero Associates to provide architectural engineering and consulting services to design the new San Francisco Public Utilities Commission water enterprise city distribution division facilities at 2000 Marin Street for a total cost not to exceed uh, 27.8 million with a term of five years from March 1st, 2023 through February 28th, 2028, subject to the Board of Supervisors approval under the Charter. Members of the public who are joining us remotely and wish to comment, uh, please call 415-655-0001 with a meeting ID of 24900312076, then press pound twice. Once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. A prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand, and when the system indicates you have been unmuted, that will be your signal to begin your comments. Madam Chair.
0: Thank you. I believe we have a presentation by Shelby Campbell.
12: Yes, good good morning, Chair Chan and and supervisors. I'm Steve Ritchie, the Assistant General Manager for Water at the Public Utilities Commission. Uh, Just very briefly, this is a a very important project for us. It's uh, the highest priority in our local capital improvement plan. Uh, it's basically to provide a new facility for our uh, City Distribution Division employees, which uh, currently occupy 1990 Newcomb, which is woefully outdated uh, and is definitely in need of replacement. Uh, so this, this contract uh, is an important one for us because it's the final step to be able to move forward with the project. Uh, and with that, I'd like to turn it over to Shelby Campbell, the project manager, to get into the details.
0: Thank
13: you. Good morning, supervisors. I'm Shelby Campbell, the project manager for the new CDD facilities at 2000 Marin. So who is CDD? It's the city distribution division, um, and they are essential workers who operate and maintain the city's distribution system, which includes our uh, pump stations, reservoirs, over 1,200 miles of pipelines, um, and the water metering program. Next. So there's an interesting history in providing uh, facilities for this division. Uh, Following the 1906 earthquake, they were um, located at uh, the Bryant Street Yard, which was formerly owned by Spring Valley, to be on a temporary basis in 1906. Um, Fast forward to 1960, the uh, workers came to the Board of Supervisors threatening to strike given the working conditions that they had never uh, received permanent facilities and in response the board acquired the Newcomb site and those facilities were um, uh, developed in 1963 so here we are fast forward another 60 years we have obsolete facilities and in, in serious overcrowding and and uh, safety and hazard conditions, and we are not, it's not possible to replace the facilities in their existing location given the 24 seven nature of the operations and overcrowding. And so the city acquired 2000 Marin to build new facilities. So here are examples of the conditions uh, for at the current facility. There's the overcrowding of shops and offices that are inadequate space. The overflow is going into trailers. Um, The the, uh, shops are operating outside in the yard, fabricating pipes um, and um, repairing large vehicles that don't fit into the bays in the old auto shop, and so all of the buildings are obsolete. They don't meet current code, including seismic, and these are essential workers that are responding to emergencies and major events. So we're here today to request your support for a design contract with Cabanero Associates in the amount of $27.8 million for a term of five years. Here is a diagram of the schematics for the new facilities which includes a parking structure on the east side, um, on the west side, I'm sorry, the offices, shops, and a warehouse. Um, the total project budget is approximately 394 million we hope to start construction within two years and complete the project in 2028 and I'm happy to answer any questions you may have sure we have a BOA report
8: madam chair item 6 is a proposed resolution that would approve a five-year 27.8 million dollar contract between the san francisco public utilities commission and mark cavanero associates for design services the five-year term is from march 1st 2023 through february 28th 2028 and the contract gives the city options to extend the agreement for a total term of nine years the public utilities commission water enterprises city distribution division currently operates out of headquarters located at 1990 newcomb avenue The PUC um, determined that the division now needs a new headquarters to address overcrowding throughout the facilities and code violations and safety issues in several shops due to aging and infrastructure. The new CDD headquarters will be located at 2000 Marin Street, and 428 full-time staff uh, will be relocating to that location. The new headquarters at 2000 Marin Street was acquired by the PUC and a land exchange approved by the Board of Supervisors in 2018. PUC staff have identified the need for approximately 380,000 gross square foot uh, campus as shown in, in exhibit one on page eight of our report. The proposed design uh, site design also includes public art and gardens for staff to congregate. A site plan is shown as appendix A on page 14 of our report. The PUC uh, staff estimate that enti- the entire project will cost about $394 million for construction and project delivery. The project involves five buildings and three different building types on an eight acre uh, contaminated site that requires grading, some soil removal, and maintaining impervious cap on the site. Project costs will be paid by water revenue bonds and after accounting for debt service on those bonds, total project costs are approximately $800 million. Debt service will be repaid over the life of the bonds, about 20 to 30 years, and paid by water rates. To date, the Board of Supervisors has appropriated $48 million for the new CDD headquarters project. As of January, 2023, 4.6 million of that has been spent. Uh, We note in our uh, report, the committee did consider a a version of this contract in May of 2022, but continued that item to the call of the chair. Due to questions about the procurement process and budget, which we detail in our report on page 9. The Public Utilities Commission issued a third request for proposal in September 2022, undertook outreach efforts to potential bidders, and, re- and revised the RFP's requirements for cost proposals, subcontractor qualifications, as well as diversity, equity, and inclusion plans. An evaluation panel ranked a proposal from Mark Cavanero the highest, uh, technical and oral interview score of the two proposals. As shown in Exhibit 2 on page 11 of our report, the proposed contract includes 18 subcontractors. Exhibit 2 shows the contracts and their scopes of work. In addition, as shown in Exhibit 3 on page 12 of our report, the proposed agreement requires the completion of the social impact partnership commitments totaling $51,000 in direct financial contributions and $214,000 in volunteer hours. To determine the agreement's $27.8 million not to exceed amount, SFPUC staff estimates that the contracted design costs will be nine percent of estimated construction costs. Total design costs for the project are an estimated at twelve percent of construction costs, including three percent to be completed by Public Works Schematic Design and Landscaping, and nine percent contracted out to Mark Cavanero and its subcontractors. And we do recommend approval of the proposed resolution.
0: Thank you. Any questions? Well, I want to say, like, uh, I want to. Yeah. Okay. I want to actually um, point to the uh, budget and legislative analyst report, indicating that this is the third attempt uh, of, to award this contract. As indicated, it would it came before us. A similar contract came before us, and we didn't move forward with that, uh, with the questions around procurement process, um, and I. Do think that this is the first with the, social benef- with the revised social benefit or social impact program uh, put in place uh, that that with uh, put forward uh, as part of the contract? Um, I do note. I want to note in here, and and just as a note, and and not uh, it's not my condition of uh, supporting this uh, is that indicated in the. Report in the B.L.A. report also says that um, the contract right now it just only say that you may conduct a performance evaluation of the contractor. Uh, you're not. You, the contract does not uh, discuss the frequency or evaluation of the criteria. Um, I, I and and yet they still recommend uh, recommending this for approval. Where I have this note and I would say that in the event you do come back. For increase or amendments to a contract, I think it will be very critical to show um, steps uh, for performance evaluation, and you know the frequency of it, and uh, what with the results and corrective action if needed. And so that would really be my recommendation, not just to SFPUC but virtually any contract that comes through the city. I think it's um, it's it's a good demand. Uh, for, and it's good, just a protocol. Uh, So that's just my word of (laughs) recommendation for me to say, perhaps have some type of agreement of frequency and criteria for evaluation um, and a list of corrective action. If not follow, what would the consequences be? Supervisor Safai.
6: Thank you. Um, So I'm glad that we actually, in some ways it's unfortunate because when you read the report, because of the delay, it's costing, um, because of what happened with the procurement process and the way that this was not done properly the first time, it's costing water ratepayers $32 million extra dollars, or one year of delay, from the BLA's report. So that was unfortunate. Um, but I'm happy to see that we have it all buttoned up this time and uh, that Mark Cavaniaro's team has been selected, and I think that's good for San Francisco. Um, I do want to say one concern that i have not for this project but just overall is that um we pay some of the higher highest water rates in the region i get a lot of calls from constituents uh, particularly now uh, in our economic times Uh, they're calling in really concerned about their water rates and we have a lot of uh, as you heard on the agenda you were sitting here today we have a lot of seniors aging in place um, I know there's programs that are designed uh, for those that are more low income, but in general, our water rates are ex- extensive. And so just want to give the, the PUC an opportunity to talk about how you know, in our capital plan, we phase in our capital projects so that we're not constantly raising taxes um, on our homeowners here in San Francisco. Um, I understand that the debt will be paid off on this project over a 30-year period, 20, 30-year period. Um, this is one piece of potentially another $2.2 billion worth of projects, all paid by water rates. So uh, what impact does this project have on our water rates? Um,
12: thank you, supervisor, uh, to answer a variety of those questions. I would start with uh, the water rates in San Francisco. Um, we have actually been doing a lot of analysis uh, on that, uh, and while our rate is higher, uh, we think actually a better comparison is on what the monthly bill is, uh, because when you use less water, uh, the costs don't change that of, of, of carrying out the system, uh, so the rate tends to go up. Uh, we've just completed uh, the initial analysis there, uh, and on a monthly bill comparison basis, as opposed to a water rate comparison basis, uh, we are among the lower side, uh, among many of the major, large uh, 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 utilities in California. And we'd be happy you know, at some future time to present that detailed information to the supervisors. Uh, yeah, we, I
6: would definitely like to see that, because I can tell you just from a lot of the monthly bills that people are getting, it, it's, it's high for the average person. You know, we represent a lot of working families. And so I just want to be sure. I am 100% in support of this project. I think it's important to have good, safe uh, conditions for our workforce. I'm happy that it's a a local firm that's going to be doing the work. All of those things make this a phenomenal project. Um, I just wanted to signal for the future, as you all continue to bring us, um, we have to really take a look at what your capital plan is as it relates. I understand you might be coming and asking for a water rate increase in the high, you know, eight, nine percent, that's going to be a significant increase to someone's average monthly bill. So we have to understand exactly what your plan is, and so we intend to reach out and sit down with the PUC. But as, of, as it pertains to today, I think um, this is a good project. I'm, I'm happy to know that the workers will have better space and the city will have a better space, and they've secured that space and we own that space. I just wanted to signal in, in going forward Those rates are monthly bills, let me say it like that, monthly bill is is pretty high for the average homeowner, even when you don't use it. There's the tier system, use a certain amount, and then you go over, and if you use just a little bit more water, you jump up into the second tier, and your monthly bill jumps. So we need to have a further conversation about that, but as it pertains to this project, I'm, I'm, I'm good to go.
12: Yeah. Thank you. And, and just briefly, I would say that affordability is, is a high priority issue for the PUC. This is, and it's actually not unique to the PUC. Uh, again, all utilities throughout California uh, and the West are facing the same challenges of having to deal with our large aging infrastructures. Uh, that uh, that need attention to make sure we can continue to deliver services but uh, affordability is is a big issue uh, and that is something that we're trying to look at different ways that we can make bills more affordable for for all of our customers particularly those with lower incomes
0: thank you um, seeing no more other questions let's go to public comments mr clerk thank you
1: Yes, members of the public who wish to speak on this item and are joining us in person should line up now. For those listening remotely, please call 415 655 0001. Enter the meeting ID of 24900312076, then press pound twice. Once connected, press star 3 to enter the speaker line. For those already in the queue, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted, and that'll be your queue to begin your comments. Oh, sir, if you step up to the lectern, I'll start your time when you start speaking.
8: Uh, Thank you. Thank you, supervisor. Um, My name is Kong Kiong. I'm principal with Mark Cabanero Associates. I want want to be here to thank you for your support and to answer any questions you have.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for your comments. Seeing no further speakers here in the chamber, um, Mr. Hsu, if you can uh, unmute our caller, please.
9: Uh, Can you hear me now? Please begin. Great. David Pilpel. Um So I am also comfortable with this um, latest version of the agreement. I note the uh, letter in the file from uh, Tony Kelly. Um, and I would just uh, offer a thought that the resolution uh, talks about the contract being in effect uh, March 1st. By the time this gets to the board and the mayor, it will be well after March 1st. So you might want to in- include the word retroactive in there somewhere. But otherwise, uh, I have, uh, I'm very much in support of the new uh, CDD campus. I'm comfortable with this uh, proposed uh, agreement with uh, Mark Cavanero and Associates. Um, and those are my thoughts. Thanks for listening.
1: Mr. Sia, do we have any more comments or colors? Madam Chair, that completes our queue.
0: Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Seeing no more public comments, public comment is now closed. Um, Seeing this, let's, uh, Mr. Clerk, I would like to uh, move this uh, to full board with positive recommendation. So please call the roll.
1: Uh, Madam Chair, there. Uh, just to clarify, there were some BLA uh, recommendations for amendments. Are we, will we take that or not take that? No.
0: I don't think that there is. Okay, never
1: mind. My fault. No, On that motion, <laughs> to forward this resolution to the full board with a positive recommendation. Vice Chair Manlan. Mandelman, aye. Member Safai, Safai, aye. Chair Chan? Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes.
0: Thank you, the motion passes. Mr. Clark, please call item number seven.
1: Yes, item number seven is a resolution approving amendment number two to a contract power scheduling coordination and related support services with APX incorporated to allow for the processing of the California Independent System Operator power transmission service charges to increase the contract by 636 million for a total non taxi contract amount of approximately 895.7 million, subject to the Board of Supervisors approval, pursuant to the charter with no change to the five year term of uh, five year term from March 2022 through April 2027. Members of the public are joining us remotely and wish to comment. Please call 415 655 0001. Enter the meeting ID of two four nine zero zero three one two zero seven six 2076 and press pound twice. Once connected, press star three, Tenators to speak a line. A prompt will indicate you raised your hand and when the system indicates you haven't admitted, that is your signal to begin your comments. Madam Chair.
0: Thank you, Mr. Clark. I think you were thinking about this item that actually has the recommendation from BOA. I was. Um, <laughs> but thank you. We Today we have Sonita Jones, a Manager from, uh, of Energy Scheduling and Settlement, um, and Barbara Hale, Assistant General Manager for Power from SFPUC. Thank you so much for being here with us today.
14: Thank you. Good morning, Supervisors.
4: Oh, sorry. Thank you.
14: okay thank you so the proposed proposed resolution before you today would approve amendment number no. two to the power scheduling agreement between San Francisco Public Utilities Commission and APX increasing the not to exceed amount by 636 million with an with no change to the scope or contract term so the first slide, we wanted to illustrate how electric services are provided to our customers. Hetch Hetchy and Clean Power SF power transmitted via the California independent system operator to SFPUC's customers. In the next slide, you'll see the request increase for the not-to-exceed amount of the current contract with APX is 895,742,800. APX, as a registered scheduling coordinator, provides a critical and essential role in the SFPUC's ability to transmit electricity to the CAISO grid. Without contracting with the registered SC, the SFPEC could not participate in the CAISO energy market or deliver energy to our customers. APX also passes through all CAISO costs or costs required to participate in the energy market. These costs are directly tied to energy market prices. We have witnessed an unprecedented increase in energy prices this past year. This slide details the main drivers in these higher than anticipated prices. Global energy shortages, new generation facilities have not come online due to supply chain delays, extreme winter and summer weather, and drought conditions, as well as um, cartel energy, energy increased prices in energy supplies. This next slide illustrates the cumulative spend of the APX invoices during June 20 June through December 2022 and as you can see these higher energy prices drove the APX invoices up to our current threshold. Finally we have performed a forward price projection utilizing a third party daily pricing subscription which provides extensive data on industry practices and market insight We then input the pricing information into an analysis tool to simulate energy prices for our portfolio forward price projection. And as you can see, the average about 200% higher compared to our earlier projections. Um, And that's all I have. So if you have any questions. Thank
0: you.
8: Madam Chair, item seven is a proposed resolution that would approve uh, amendment number two to the power scheduling agreement between the san francisco public utilities commission and apx incorporated increasing the not to exceed amount by 636 million dollars from two about 260 million dollars to about 896 million dollars with no change to the contract term the california independent system operator or CAISO, operates the transmission of electric power over california's electric transmission system state and federal regulators govern payments Made to KISO. The, Pu- the Public Utilities Commission does not meet the KISO requirement for being a scheduled co- scheduling coordinator, an entity that is allowed to complete power transactions on the KISO network and is able to make payments to KISO for power transactions. So if P- SFPUC uh, is required to contract for these services. Um, Forward prices for electricity, as the department mentioned, uh, have increased by 200% on average between June 2021 and December 2022. These prices include escalation in the cost of electricity generation and transmission cost increases, which are approved by the CAISO and the Federal Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. The rising costs have impacted pass-through payments APX makes to the CAISO on behalf of SFPUC. In January of 2023, SFPUC executed amendment number no. 1 to the contract, increasing the not to exceed amount by $125 million for a total not to exceed of $259,742,800. Amendment number no. 1 did not require a board advisor's approval because the delegated authority approved by the provided to the SFPUC under administrative code section 21.43. The proposed amendment number two would increase the not-to-exceed amount of the apx contract uh, by 636 million dollars as shown in exhibit two on page 18 of our report the entire increase is to pay for the additional pass-through charges related to the cost of electricity generation and transmission projected annual contract expenditures are shown in exhibit three also on page 18 of our report The projected expenditures of $896 million includes approximately $4.2 million in payments to APX for services provided. The remaining $892 million are passed through payments to KISO. According to PUC's Energy Scheduling and Settlements Manager, high KISO charges and energy market volatility will likely contribute to power rate increases. SFPUC's um, 10-year financial plan anticipates 14% increases to Hetch Hetchy power retail rates and 15% increases to clean power SF generation charges in uh, fiscal year 23-24. A year ago, Hetch Hetchy retail, re- retail prices uh, rates were projected to increase only by 8.4% uh, next year. Similarly, a year ago, clean power SF generation charges were projected to not increase at all in fiscal year 23-24. We recommend that the Board amend the proposed resolution to request quarterly reports from the SFPUC showing actual KISO charges compared with projections and remaining contract expenditure authority through fiscal year 2324 and to approve the resolution as, as amended.
0: Thank you. We had, last year we had a Committee of the Whole hearing at the Board of Supervisors specifically about rate increase and during that conversation, you know, we we recognize, and I think that this body and I think this city has always recognized the, the critical um, independence of the city and county of San Francisco from PG&E, um, understanding that the volatility of their operation impacts our rate. And I think that this is sort of part of those bigger conversation, why the acquisitions of the equipment has, you know, been... Critical and why we have been uh, working on that because we understand that you know as shown by this contract, this is really for the grid for the equipment and and show that it's part of the bigger conversation. If I understand correctly, um, I I think that um, we we're ready to support. I don't think we have a choice um, because of the structure. Not just we we just we're just part of the larger bureaucracy uh, by the state, uh, uh, imposed by the state, so um, we will be, I, at least I will be voting in support of it. Uh, what I do hope that um, during our conversation uh, last year during the Committee of the Whole is that there's a study uh, pending, I believe, uh, with SFPUC about how do we f- uh, find independence in that in, in setting rate or, or rate setting and I think that that study is coming forward uh, I believe in springtime. I just want to confirm that
15: I'm um, Barbara Hale assistant general manager for power thank you for your question uh, we certainly are continuing to investigate and to pursue the city's direction to um, acquire the the PG&E assets uh, we are active at the California PUC. Uh, we're going to be submitting testimony soon Where uh, the value of those assets will be set by their regulator the public the California PUC? Uh, we are active at the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission as well uh, trying to protect the cost increases trying to protect the terms and conditions Um, that we face today and will continue to face until uh, we are successful as a city in that acquisition. With respect to the rates we pay um, for those services, those are regulated at the federal level, um, and so that's where our actions at the FERC are important. Um, As far as the rates we charge then for services, um, those those, uh, uh, rates have been set, for the Hetch Hetchy program, um, and and we will not, we don't anticipate coming back to the um, th- to the Rate Fairness Board or to the Commission or to this body, um, the Board of Supervisors, uh, until a, a, a year from now. For Clean Power SF, we are expecting to bring uh, rate action forward this spring. And that will come with the study work that you, I I believe, that you're referring to. We we present to, as required by the city charter, we present to the Rate Fairness Board and have begun those conversations uh, to our own commission uh, through hearings that are noticed in the newspaper and everything, you know, through um, appropriate means to make sure we get the word out. Supervisor Sophia, you talked about affordability with respect to the last item and water rates. That's very much front of mind at the PUC. And I think um, it's important to keep in mind that even though we are seeing cost increases because of the um, electric market rate increases that Ms. Jones just referred to, we are not um, expecting to see bills paid by our customers that are higher than those paid by PG&E customers. So, we will still show a more affordable product uh, than uh, uh, the alternative. Thank you. Thank you. Seeing no more questions, let's
0: go to public comment.
1: Yes, members of the public who wish to speak on this item and joining us in person should line up now. For those listening remotely, please call 415 655 0001. Uh, enter the meeting ID of two four nine zero zero three one two zero seven six then press pound twice. Uh, once connected, press star 3 to enter the speaker line. Uh, for those already in the queue, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted. And that will be your signal to begin your comments. I see no in-person speakers here in the chamber. And Madam Chair, we have no speakers in the queue.
0: Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Seeing no more public comment, public comment is now closed. I do want to make a concluding, concluding remark that I just want to highlight uh, Assistant Manager of Power um, Barbara Hales uh, comments that even under the circumstance uh, circumstances, that the typical customer bills will still remain lower for our Clean Power SF customers than the PG&E customers, and I think that's an important fact to highlight for those uh, for the ratepayers in San Francisco. So thank you with that. Um, I would like to move this item to full board with recommendation. Mr. Clerk, please call the roll.
1: Uh, Madam Chair, I think this one. Uh, oh,
0: we uh, need to, yes, of course. Um, let's uh, make the motion to accept the recommendation as, uh, as recommended by the BLA.
1: On that motion, to amend the proposed resolution to request the quarterly reports as uh, stated by the uh, uh, budget and legislative analyst, Vice Chair Mandelman. Mandelman, I. Member Safai. Safai aye, Chair Chan. Aye. Chan I, we have three ayes.
0: Thank you. And I would like to move the amended item to full board with recommendation.
1: On that motion to forward the resolution of the full board with the positive recommendation as amended, Vice Chair uh, Vice Chair Mandelman. Mandelman, aye, member Safai. Safai, aye. Chair Chan? Aye. Chan I, we have three eyes.
0: Thank you. The motion passes. Mr. Clerk, please I call item number eight.
1: Yes, item number 8 is a resolution approving and authorizing the Director of the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development to execute documents relating to a loan for the acquisition and rehabilitation of 629 Post Street pursuant to the Small Sites Program utilizing the Academy of Art University Settlement Fund for a total loan amount not to exceed $30.4 million confirming the Planning Department's determination under the California Environmental Quality Act in finding that the project loan is consistent with the general plan and the eight priority policies of the Planning Code. If members of the public who are joining us remotely and wish to comment, please call 415-655-0001, enter the meeting ID of 2490 and press bound twice. Once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. A prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand, and when the system indicates you have been unmuted, there will be your signal to begin your comments. Madam Chair.
0: Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Today we have Sheila Nicolopoulos, Director of Policy from Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development. And we have, sorry, I think you have to introduce yourself. Um, Go ahead. My apologies. Good morning, Chair Chan
16: and committee members FIE and Mandelman. My name is Amanda Fukutomi-Lopez, project manager at the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development, or MOCD. I am joined here today by Steve Culbertson, Deputy Director of Housing from Swords to Plowshares. I will be presenting on item 8, the funding request for the acquisition and rehabilitation of 629 Post Street. Located in District 3, 629 Post Street is a six-story, 65-unit building that consists of 62 single-room occupancy units with in-unit bathrooms, three designated commercial spaces, and a large basement space that opens onto an on-grade alley that will double as an outdoor community space. Swords to Plowshares is proposing to acquire and rehabilitate 629 Post to house homeless and formerly homeless veterans, utilizing HUD-VASH vouchers, continuum of care subsidies, and safe haven subsidies. HUD-VASH... <clears throat> and safe haven referrals will come from the VA while new continuum of care referrals will come from the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing via the coordinated entry system Source to Ploughshares currently leases 39 units of veteran housing at the Fairfax on Eddy Street Source to Ploughshare seeks to relocate their residents to 629 Post improving life condition- living conditions and expanding programming The rehab scope includes structural seismic upgrades electrical electrical and plumbing upgrades along with the construction of a community kitchen on its ground floor that will provide both programming and meals for its veteran residents 20 SRO units will be upgraded with kitchenettes converting them to studios project sponsor source splashers veterans rights organization is requesting a 2-year acquisition and rehabilitation loan of up to $30,385,225 Academy of Art University settlement funds, which have a first priority of uses for the creation and or preservation of SRO units in specific districts, including District 3, will be used for the acquisition and rehabilitation of the project. Total development costs during the two-year loan term are projected to be $30,385,225, or $474,769 per unit. The loan will be repaid at the end of the two-year loan term once the rehabilitation of the project is complete with a projected $12.7 million in senior debt and $18.6 million in SSP GAP financing or approximately $290,000 per unit in GAP financing. The acquisition date for the property will line up with the project funding approvals and MoCD's loan closing date, which is anticipated to occur no later than April 7, 2023 once the building is acquired, pre construction will start immediately. With construction estimated to start by August 15, 2023, and an estimated construction completion date of November 15, 2024. Upon construction completion, the project will immediately provide 58 units of vital housing to one of our city's most vulnerable populations and will also preserve the units of five San Francisco residents. The renovation of these units and conversion to permanently affordable will count towards the housing elements goals for the production and preservation of affordable units. We are happy to answer any questions that the committee members may have, and thank you for your time and consideration of this request.
0: Thank you.
8: Madam Chair, uh, item eight is a proposed resolution that approves a loan between the city and Swords to plow chairs or 629 post LLC, which is the project sponsor not to exceed uh, $30,385,225 for the acquisition and rehabilitation of 629 Post Street pursuant to the small sites program. 629 Post Street is a six story 65 unit mixed use building located between Taylor and Shannon Streets in the downtown Civic Center neighborhood. It consists of 62 SRO units and three commercial units, one of which will be renovated into an ADA accessible entrance. The building will be operated as affordable housing for unhoused and formerly unhoused veterans through safe housing, safe haven housing, continuum, continuum of care, permanent supportive housing, and Federal Department of Housing and Urban Development Veterans Administration Support Housing project-based vouchers. Exhibit 1 on page 24 of our report presents the required rents as outlined in the declaration of uh, restrictions for the five tenants who will remain in the building along with the housing units reserved for veterans who are or were formerly unhoused. Exhibit 2 on page 25 of our report summarizes the sources and uses of funding for the two-year acquisition and rehabilitation of the project. The proposed $30,385,225 loan is funded through the Academy of Arts University Settlement Fund, which prioritizes using these, this funding for the creation or preservation of single room occupancy units. Of the total amount, fourteen million twenty-two thousand will be used for the acquisition of six twenty-nine Post Street. The hard construction cost uh, total twelve million fifty-six thousand seven hundred thirty-five dollars. So Source: Supply shares will convert the small sites program loan to permanent financing at the end of the two years. Of the $31,755,583 in permanent financing, MOHCD staff anticipates providing $18,589,583 in permanent small sites program funds and 13,168,000 from other MOHCD loan products. According to the Affordable Housing Loan Committee Evaluation Report, the MOHCD subsidy per unit is $489,650. The loan agreement um, does not currently provide a, include a provision that provides the city the option to purchase 629 Post Street at a future date. MOHCD staff reported to us that uh, the department intends to record a city option to purchase at permanent conversion when the city provides gap financing for the project. However, we recommend amending the proposed resolution to state that this is the city's intent, and we recommend approving the proposed resolution as amended.
0: Thank you. Supervisor Safai.
6: Thank you. Um, I have a couple questions for MOHCD. um, Because we went through this past two years with the depression in the market, a number of the smaller hotels were up for purchase. And because of their existing conditions and because of the depression in the market, we were able to purchase them at a much more affordable rate in terms of how much we paid per unit and how much uh, ultimately the cost per unit ended up being. So uh, I think this is important. Let me just state from the beginning, this is an important segment of the population to house. I'm very supportive of housing that. But the 489,000 a door is higher than the maximum of 300,000 a door that you all set. So I, I wanted to see what the reasoning behind that was.
16: Um, so the, the $300,000, Adore, I believe you're referring to, is our subsidy caps. And um, the way we've kind of looked at this project is what the anticipated subsidy cap will be once we incorporate hard debt service. So this is um, the, two-year, the two-year loan is all subsidy uh, in an effort to keep costs down for the project. And then once we convert to permanent financing, but well, that SSP amount will be under the 300,000 at 290 per door. Um, and we've we did an appraisal for the property and it appraised at the, the sales price and which is Okay.
6: so the actual subsidy per door is would be 290. It would be under your 300,000. dollars
16: exactly. Um, okay. and
6: And so the 489 is what?
16: So the 4 Sorry, I just the oh, sorry, the four the four. Sorry, it's four seventy-four. For is that what you're referring to? Or the four four nine? So the the, B, total the
6: BLA just said four, You just said four eighty-nine a door, right?
8: Uh, that's correct, and that was from um, the Affordable Housing Loan Committee evaluation report.
6: So four eighty-nine six fifty, which exceeds the small sites program guidelines of three hundred thousand per unit.
16: Right, so, uh, so the um, if that is referring to the total development cost, that is not so. We have made this exception. We've you know, we've sized up our SSP subsidy based on our permanent conversion, and at permanent conversion, our subsidy will be lower. Right now, it is. Um, it is going to be more, but once we permanently convert. We will have we will be under that 290,000 per subsidy. Um, the 4 the 490,000 number coming in at permanent conversion is total development cost, which incorporates um, all of the rehabilitation acquisition. It also incorporates um, you know the hard debt service and the SSP subsidy. So that's kind of like the the total cost per door, um, in, which is part um, the 290 per subsidy and then the difference in hard hard debt
6: service. Mr. Groucher, did you get that when you were doing your analysis through the chair?
8: Uh, uh, Through the chair, Supervisor Safai, we um, did not have that information, but it is our understanding that projects that exceed the maximum subsidy of 300,000 may be eligible for funding subject to meeting minimum scoring criteria or approval from the director of MOHCD?
6: Right, but I, I got that. I saw that in, in the notes as well. But what, what I'm getting is that the small size program guideline is 300000 in subsidy. I guess what was not being clear from what I'm hearing you present is it, it's not all subsidy? it's it will, all subsidy it's all debt it's all It's work, all
16: it's all um right? soft debt for 2 years and and then it'll permanently convert and once we permanently convert the financing it will be um it'll incorporate hard debt at that time because we will have the tenants kind of ported over from the Eddy Street location so the project can support debt service um so at at the time of permanent conversion we'll have a project with less than $300,000 in subsidy per unit and also incorporating hard debt service.
6: The, the other thing, too, that's unique about this building, again, is you're using small sites money, but this is a 65-unit building. I mean, the design for small sites, when we, when we really created and pushed for it, was, you know, three to four units to maybe 30 units. And this is 65 units. So, I, again, it just... You, you all have multiple sources of funding that you can use. I'm not questioning the need for veteran housing. Let's just say that 100%. What I'm trying to understand is that there's a finite source of money. You know, this is settlement money from the Academy of Art. It goes into the small sites program. Small sites is 30, you know, 4 to 30 to 40 units. This is 65. This is a big building. So this doesn't seem to fit. And I'm just trying to understand why you you all would utilize small sites money and it take, takes away opportunities in districts like um, District 1, District, all over the city where we need to purchase these small sites buildings.
11: Thank you. That is a good question. Sheila Nicolopoulos, Director of Policy with MOHCD, and the reason that we're using small sites is because that pro- we're using the program structure, but the funds are coming in through that AAU settlement, which is specifically for certain districts and for SRO housing, and so that's why. Although this is a little bit outside of the range of the usual small sites, um, that program structure and that specific funding is why we're pooling those together.
6: No, I understand that. So you don't yeah. have any other pools of money that you could use for, for larger buildings?
11: For these larger buildings? Well, these this, larger SRO. This one is the, is the right fit for the AAU funds and that's why we're using it.
6: Hmm. But okay, I know that when we did the, the Home Key program, we were looking for buildings like this and so.
11: Yes, and the Home Key is run through the Department of Homelessness. I so, understand. Yeah.
6: Um, but these are formerly homeless vets.
11: Yeah, and there is, you're right, there's overlap between their work and our work as well.
6: So it seemed, again, I want, I want this project to proceed. It just doesn't seem as though you all use the right source of funds for this. You could have put in a home key grant working with HSH. You could have gotten, re- I mean, we've been, we've had a phenomenal success rate of purchasing buildings and maybe look for a smaller SRO to purchase because I know there's quite a few that are that are in a smaller range. Again, I'm just questioning yeah. the, the use and the source of the funds because it's a finite source of money. How much money is left in the settlement dollars?
11: Um, that I don't know, but I can find out and get back to you. Was this part of the city attorney
0: like, agreements for the yes, settlements? right? exactly. Like to actually make sure that we go back to this building, particular
11: building at this site? Um, it didn't, I believe or in this, this area. Yes, it was, was for specific supervisorial districts where the funds were designated to be spent. Right,
6: no, you said that in your presentation. So it was District 3 was one. I'm imagining District 6 would be another one without knowing so. the parameters. So there's different districts that were designated because that's where AAU was p- purchasing um, SROs and converting them you know, without planning authorization. So the settlement said, you need to then reinvest this money back in those districts. Again, not questioning any of that. I'm questioning the finite amount of this money, and then the other funds of money that could have been used rather than um, taking away from. Was there a, was there a time schedule on how the, when the money had to be used
17: for do you,
6: for the AAU settlement dollars? I feel
0: like that's a city attorney's question. Yeah, yeah.
11: I don't. Um, I would have to look at the settlement document. I don't remember the timeline for that.
6: Okay. Well, but I I'm, I would just say. First of all, I would like to know how much money remains in the AAU Fund. Mm-hmm. That, that would be something that seems to be important to understand. And then secondly, I think it would make more sense, as much as possible, to utilize the dollars that are available for exactly these kind of programs rather than kind of drying up the source. That would be my recommendation. But I appreciate it. I think this is a phenomenal program. I think it's important. I mean, I've <coughs> visited a few... Um, VASH voucher funded, veteran housing, and they're much, much in need. So I, I I don't question any of that. I'm just questioning the source of the funds, that's all. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Vice Chair Mendelman.
6: Um, thank you, Chair Chan. I'm a little
9: confused. Um, money goes into small sites program from different things. We fund it through the budget, but the, the small sites money here is this settlement money. Is there money beyond the settlement money? I mean, is this taking out of other small sites funds?
11: No, I don't believe so, but
16: I...
6: Why don't they know the answer to that?
16: No, it's not taking any other um, pots of money from the subsidy funds.
9: So like when we fight over ERAF no. money or other things yeah, that we n- then fund small sites with and then fight over which district is gonna get them. Um, uh, that's not what this is. No, this is you are using this vehicle to spend AAU settlement exactly. money. And the yes. AAU settlement money is not gonna get spent on a four-unit building in District 8,
16: I, right? Unless, it, the, it's, the first priority of uses is for SRO units. I'm not really aware of anything that small. Okay, so SRO you're not us.
9: stealing my small site's money.
16: <laughs> I'm not stealing Because <laughs> no. I
9: don't want you to do that. <laughs> Um, I also just want to, you know, take take the opportunity to just sort of push back a little bit on my colleague from District 11, just because the small sites acquisitions that happen in my district Mm -hmm. typically need to go above that um, $300,000. And we don't get a whole lot of small sites in District 8 because our price per door is so high but I think it's important for us to get like I don't want to have a district that has no affordable housing even though it's very expensive we have the second highest rate of displacement and so I don't want you all to get into your head that this board is unwilling to approve projects or is reluctant to approve projects if you have a good reason for why you're going above that per door figure so just want to put that out as the district 8 supervisor who may want you to buy some buildings that might be a little over Three hundred thousand dollars a door.
0: Thank you, Vice <laughs> Chair Mendelman. Um, I I'm going to say that you know I, I think we we know that we have a small size program conversation last year that you know Director Shaw was committed to work with our nonprofit housers to really revamp the small size program and I think cost per unit was part of that discussion. Um, so more to come in a separate conversation. So seeing no more questions on this item. Uh Mr. Clerk, please go to public comment.
1: Yes, Madam Chair, members of the public who wish to comment on this item and are joining us in presentation lineup now. For those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001. Enter the meeting ID of 2490031. Uh 2076, then press pound twice, once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. For those already in the queue, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been muted, and there will be your signal to begin your comments. Seeing no in-person speakers here in the chamber. Uh, Mr. Shu, won't you uh, unmute or caller, please?
18: So supervisors, uh, the Academy of Art University adversely impacted the city and county of San Francisco by converting SROs and other buildings that they bought uh, and converted them into, like, dormitories. We fought for this for many years. And there was a city planner, I believe his name was uh, Badner, who cooperated with the Academy of Art University. So your supervisors who just came on board recently know nothing about their history. And know I still. Who said that I know nothing? You supervisors, I repeat, know nothing about the history because you were not there at the planning. We were. Espinola, Jackson, myself, and others. So don't you think that just because you are a supervisor and you're on the committee, you know everything. So what I'm saying is they adversely impacted the city and county of San Francisco depriving rental units to many people, and we have to focus on that. And that's all i got to say. And by the way, when I give public comment, I don't care if I'm a supervisor or whatever, my public comment is sacrosanct, no repartee. You may do that in Iran.
1: Thank you, Francisco de Costa, for your comments. Um, And
6: Madam Chair, that completes your telephone queue.
0: Thank you. Uh, seeing no more public comment, public comment is now closed. Supervisor Safai.
6: Thank you. Um, so just to, just to put a fine point at Supervisor, just to Supervisor Mandelman, I wasn't arguing against uh, going above that. I was only stating the guidelines that were within the, their own department and trying to understand uh, their reasoning behind it. I, and point out that, again, we've done 17 uh, purchases of hotels across the city. I understand the desire to move, but there also could have been, and maybe there were other buildings that might have been less expensive, that might not have been this size. So just trying to understand the, the reasoning behind moving this forward. Um, ultimately, I think this is an important project for the city, uh, but wanted to know why you were exceeding the, param- the normal parameters of a small site program because it was specifically designed in a certain way. We want to target smaller buildings across the city because those are the most, that are the hottest ones that in terms of the market, in terms of the chance for displacement and also more recently the opportunity to preserve. And so there's been a lot of debate as Sue Mandelman referenced and movement. I mean, we did a 25 unit building in my district and at the time that was the largest small sites purchase. This seems to not be a small site. This is a SRO purchase, and and that's fine. We should call it that. But I don't think that was initially what the settlement money was designed for. It was SRO preservation. But I think you all then might have put that into your small sites program, which I I get. So ultimately, uh, I'm very supportive of this. I think it's important to expand this type of housing. I think we have a strong desire and need to house our veterans. Um, so I, I certainly would like to be added as a co-sponsor for this. Appreciate it.
0: All right. You heard it. Very supportive. Vice Chair Mendelman.
9: Please add me as a co-sponsor as well.
0: Bam, you have two co-sponsors. Um, clearly, with action, speaks louder than words. They both are very supportive. So we will move this item <laughs> with positive recommendation to full board. Mr. Clark, please call the roll.
1: I'm sorry, Chair Chandra there was a recommendation. Were we going to take it or not?
0: Uh, sorry. There was a recommendation from BLA. My apologies. Let's amend the item uh, accepting uh, the BLA recommendation. I'm going to make it in one motion and move the amended item to full board recommendation.
1: On that motion. To amend the resolution to uh, accepting the BLA's recommendation uh, to state that it's the city's intent to record the city option uh, to purchase for a future loan agreement and to forward the resolution to the full board with positive recommendation as amended. Vice Chair Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. Member Safai. Safai, aye. Chair Chan, aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes.
0: Thank you. The motion passes. Mr. Clerk, please call the next item.
1: Yes, item number nine is an ordinance amending the Environment Code to repeal chapter seven, green building requirements for city buildings and replace with new chapter seven, municipal green building requirements and affirming the planning department's determination under the California Environmental Quality Act Members of the public are joining us remotely and wish to comment on this item. Please call 415 655 0001. Enter the meeting ID of 24900312076 2076 and press pound twice. Once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. A prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand. And when the system indicates you have been unmuted, that will be your signal to begin your comments. Madam Chair.
0: Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Uh, today we have Cindy Comfort, um, Climate Program Manager from the San Francisco Environment. Welcome.
19: Thank you. Um, good afternoon, Supervisors. Uh, thank you so much for hearing this item.
0: Sure, hold on one second, yep. Vice Chair Mandelman. Okay.
9: okay, sorry. I have some remarks. Oh, my <laughs> apologies. Here you go. Sorry, um, please hold. Uh, um, as lead co-sponsor, um, just have a few brief words of uh, introduction. Um, uh, the fact that we're um, moving to require that our city uh, buildings eliminate fossil fuels, among other green building codes should not be a surprise. This is um, one of a number of steps that we've taken in our ongoing efforts to create a safer, healthier, all electric San Francisco of the future that achieves our city's bold climate action goals um might just do a little bit of context setting uh, for some of those other efforts that we have engaged in back in 2019 we passed a climate emergency resolution wherein the city declared a climate emergency and committed us to do our part to limit global warming below 1.5 degrees celsius the level scientists tell us is required to stave off the most severe impacts of climate change then in 2020 we passed uh, the electric preference ordinance that required natural gas buildings to achieve higher energy efficiency standards over all electric buildings. Uh, in early 2020, we passed uh, Supervisor Stephanie's ordinance that required all electric construction for new municipal projects. Then, after a whole lot of work in late 2020, uh, we pa- uh, and much pain and suffering. We passed the all electric new construction ordinance, which today is ensuring that we are building some of the cleanest, most sustainable build, uh, buildings in the world. And then uh, later in 2021, the board codified the goals in the city's climate action plan, including our desire to be net zero emissions by 2040 with an update to chapter nine, of the city's climate code. And finally, uh, the mayor released the city's climate action plan in late 2021. Um, I'm proud that this board passed all these initiatives with unanimous support and I'm looking forward to working with you all again to take this next step. Um, I want to thank the mayor for her leadership and and support throughout all these environmental initiatives and for bringing forward this measure today. City Comfort is going to talk about this more, but uh, the ordinance before us today would require the electrification of our existing existing city building systems at time of replacement due to equipment retirement or failure. And essentially we will require placing our fossil fuel natural gas systems with clean emission-free electric systems. And then also energy resilience measures for critical community uh, institutions through the installation of solar infrastructure and battery storage and that means our health centers, public safety facilities, community centers, libraries, and emergency management services will be more resilient than ever and have res- the resources they need to remain online during times of crisis. Um, further, uh, embodied uh, carbon reductions demonstrated by a whole project lifecycle as- assessment. And these assessments are key to understanding the impact of our carbon use in projects and could be adopted by the state in their mid-year update. And finally, new building material management practices that will lead to better waste prevention and increased source separation up front. And Supervisor Safayi, I think your C&D ordinance uh, was the inspiration for this. Um, So uh, this ordinance is about much more than just fossil fuels, but electrification is an essential component. Um, I don't need to remind you that natural gas is a leading source of carbon emissions in San Francisco. Uh, We talked a lot about this around the all-electric ordinance, but it, um, the the new construction ordinance, but it accounts for over 41% of our emissions overall. And for our municipal buildings, it's 99% of the emissions. Natural gas is methane, a super-polluting greenhouse gas that has serious health and safety hazards, and is, and we do need to wean ourselves off of all fossil fuels. Um, so I think this is a good ordinance, and I want to uh, acknowledge and recognize the leadership of Tyrone Jew, Acting Director of the Department of Environment, and his staff. We're going to hear from Cindy Cummerford, who's worked hard on this. Barry Hooper, who's been working on all of this. Um, Joseph Pies- um and uh, and Charles Sheehan for all their excellent work developing the ordinance. And I want to thank. Uh, the other departments for their collaboration to the Green Building Task Force. I want to thank Rob Kaplan, the city attorney's office, for his guidance in drafting the ordinance. Um, I want to thank Jackie Prager in my office. And uh, finally, um, but uh, maybe most importantly, I want to thank the environmental advocates and community organizations who've led uh, the call, the calls to action. Now I'll get out of the way so Cindy Comerford can talk.
19: I'm not sure I have much more to say but (laughs) there you go thank you Um, thank you supervisor Mandelman for those remarks and um, thank you supervisors for hearing this item again my name is Cindy Comerford I'm the climate program manager at the Department of Environment and I'm here to present on the chapter 7 code update Um, chapter 7 governs uh, our municipal buildings and how we construct and design them so about every three years we update chapter seven to align with state and local codes and in addition to this alignment uh, chapter seven is really about being a government leader in the way the city designs and constructs buildings to make sure that they're healthy and sustainable I just want to see if we can get the slides up but I will I will keep going so if we advance to slide two please I'll go through these next slides very quickly uh, because I think this is information we all Uh, know already. So one of San Francisco's top priorities um, is is climate change. And as Supervisor Mandelman said um, in July of 2021, the Board of Supervisors unanimously passed Chapter 9. And so this set our greenhouse gas targets for the city. So since 1990, we have reduced emissions by 48%. But by 2030, we have to reduce emissions by 61%. And by 2040, it's to be net zero. So while we've made some great progress, we still have a long way to go, and the next seven years are really critical to avoid the worst impacts of climate change. Next slide. And this slide shows the source of our emissions, most of them coming from transportation and buildings. Uh, Buildings are now 44% of our emissions, and our Climate Action Plan maps out the strategies and actions to eliminate fossil fuels from our buildings, and chapter seven is a step um, towards that goal. Next slide. Uh, so this kind of shows the breakdown of our building emissions. So the main issue with municipal buildings, as Supervisor Randolph said, is natural gas, um, which is not part of San Francisco. We wanna be an all electric city. Um, and while emissions for municipal buildings are a small percentage, 8%, um, it's really important for government to lead by example with their own buildings. Next slide. So we wanna update chapter seven to make sure we're incorporating the latest climate goals and targets. We also wanna make sure that we're referencing the most updated state and local codes. And lastly, this revision of chapter seven, why it's an entire repeal and replace, is it gave us an opportunity to really simplify the language. The existing legislation was much more complicated than it needed to be. It was over 37 pages, and now we've pared it down to about 22 pages. Next slide. So chapter seven covers a lot of territory. Um, I'm not gonna go over everything that's in it. Um, I do wanna mention that it references our green rating systems, which is LEED, um, which within this code cycle, we will be updating to the most recent version going from LEED 4.0 to 4.1. Next slide. So, these updates to Chapter 7 were developed by the Municipal Green Building Task Force, which is led by a senior green building specialist at the Department of Environment, and it's composed of 13 different city departments, four divisions within the SFPUC, public works, and two within the city administrator's office. Uh, the task force uh, unanimously voted to recommend these updates and the task force spent about 10 months discussing these items. We had 12 meetings with department heads and also have presented on the, this issue to many stakeholders and professional organizations. So going to the next slide. So this kind of gets to the meat of the ordinance and it presents on the three uh, items within chapter seven that have the largest impact. So first I'm gonna talk about the electrification retrofits. And the goal of this retrofits is to eliminate natural gas from our buildings and replace it with efficient and uh, electric equipment over time. So essentially this is a time of replacement policy. So when we have natural gas equipment at the end of its useful life, it's replaced with all electric equipment. So for our buildings, that's mostly going to be water heating and space conditioning, but will also include cooking and clothes drying. So there's a range of complexity to electrifying existing buildings. Some buildings will be very simple to swap out equipment and appliances, and some will be larger efforts and much more intricate. The next item is around energy resilience and efficiency. And so the changes in uh, chapter seven recommend having solar plus storage. So our codes right now require solar so this is adding on battery storage and it's adding on battery storage to make our buildings more resilient um, during disasters and emergencies and also to reduce the impacts on the grid and the last item that has a large impact is having a life cycle assessment and so a life cycle assessment is really an opportunity to look at the different construction and material processes that we're using during the development of a new building to make sure they have um, low embodied carbon. Embodied carbon is kind of the carbon footprint of our our products and materials. And so this life cycle assessment is achieved um, through the LEED uh, credit system, and um, it would recommend different ways of having lower bodied carbon construction. So if we go to the next slide, Um, While these are kind of new within Chapter 7 and we are ahead of the curve, um, we're really not alone in proposing these various updates. Um, On a regional level, BACMED, the Bay Area Air Quality Management District, is expected to... uh, Uh, have a vote on a ruling that outlaws water heaters, um, natural gas water heaters by 2027 and space conditioning by 2029. Um, And so they're proposing new uh, zero nitrous nitrous oxide um, standards that would require all electric replacements. On a state level, um, this January, the state already required solar plus storage in a subset of buildings. Chapter seven takes it a step farther to include critical care uh, facilities, um, making sure that our community centers and libraries are resilient. But there is a requirement for many buildings to already have solar plus storage to really reduce grid grid impacts. Chapter seven takes it a step farther to make sure that these buildings can um, be functional during disasters. And then the last one, Cal Green, which is our state green building code, is proposing a mid-cycle update to include uh, life cycle assessments for new construction. So if we go to the next slide, this shows the cost that the uh, budget, legislative analysts put together. Um, and the largest cost is around electrification of existing buildings. Uh, the state, There is cost for the battery storage, um, which is depicted on this slide. And, you know, typically we have really solid cost estimates for, or better cost estimates for residential and office markets around electrification. Um, the cost estimates for city buildings are very, um, variable because they're non standard building typologies and there's really just a a big range of costs, um, to determine, uh, these types of electrification costs. So if we go to the next slide, I just want to quickly break down what those electrification costs might look like. This example on this slide is from the budget legislative analyst, and it's the um, high estimate. And you can see that 70% of these costs are from PGE. And this is due to kind of our the city's unique relationship with PGE, was, which was discussed during item seven. Um, There's also cost for design, which is about 5%. And then the other 25% of this cost comes from the building retrofit. And you can see there's a small part of that cost that comes from the actual replacement of the electric equipment. And then the other cost estimates were from two PUC buildings on their construction costs. And these are not marginal costs. Some of these construction costs may need to be incurred even when you would replace... um, gas equipment with gas. So if we go to the next slide. So while there's cost impacts, there's also some cost savings to be seen with this ordinance. This slide specifically just shows the cost savings from the electrification measure, where we can see $16.4 million over 15 to 20 years in utility savings, $10.1 million in um, avoided costs from the economic damage from climate change, $4.2 million in reduction from air quality, and also this measure will increase jobs by 1,200 to 1,700 jobs to do electrification of buildings. If you go to the next slide. So there are some additional updates that are um, smaller updates in Chapter 7 that I just want to mention. Um, one, the ordinance does um, conform with C&D. Thank you, um, Supervisor (laughs) Safaii, and this will also kind of aid with the design of more recycled materials and closed material flows in the demolition phases of city buildings. Um, There's also an embodied carbon checklist, um, and this is really for city um, project teams to start socializing the concept of embodied carbon um, and really trying to see where they can make um, changes to support lower carbon. Um, materials. And lastly, there's um, a requirement for the environmental product declaration, and this is so we can kind of compare apples to apples of different products used in buildings, making sure they have low emission standards. And if we go to the last slide, so sometimes we know that compliance is not possible despite our best efforts. Chapter 7 has a long-standing waiver um, request, and so a project team can bring a waiver request to the Municipal Green Building Task Force, and then the task force makes a recommendation to the director of the environment, and they can waive any of these requirements. Um, Since 2012, there's only been 26 waiver requests, and thus far, none of them have been for um, financial reasons. And so um, that ends my presentation. I'm happy to take any questions, and, you know, San Francisco's innovative and comprehensive green building policies are really lasting investments in our environmental and economic future of the city um, and I also just want to note that we have a member of the municipal green building task force to provide some comments on this legislation
0: thank you uh, let's go to BLA report and then
19: uh, is that part of the presentation or is just available for comment she was it was a member of the task force that wanted to speak on behalf of the legislation so uh, someone Lauren from Reckon Park is here
17: okay great
0: could we actually just go to the report For. and then I think let's supervise yourself I answer some questions and then we can probably go to public comment
8: thank you madam chair um, item 9 is a proposed ordinance that would repeal and replace chapter 7 of the admin, of the environmental code regarding municipal green building requirements According to the proposed ordinance, over 99% of greenhouse gas emissions from municipal buildings are due to the use of natural gas. The key changes to Chapter 7 under the proposed ordinance are, one, a requirement to replace existing municipal building natural gas systems such as furnaces and water heaters with all electric systems at the end of the useful life, two, energy resilience requirements for new construction and major renovations of municipal buildings, and three embodied carbon lifecycle assessment requirements for new construction and major renovations of municipal buildings. There's also some minor changes regarding building material management, human and environmental health, water conservation and municipal green building task force. Uh- The largest fiscal impact to the proposed ordinance likely comes from the requirement to replace existing natural gas building systems in municipal buildings with all electric systems at the end of its useful life. Based on a range of uh, interconnection, retrofit, and soft costs from available project data and interviews with subject matter experts, We estimated that the city could face approximately an additional 247 million to 1.58 billion in electric electrification costs for 332 municipal buildings. And this is shown in exhibit one on page 33 of our report. The proposed chapter seven amendments include energy resiliency requirements for new construction and major renovations for quote, critical community institutions Construction must include photovoltaic panels and battery storage pe- capacity to meet tier one emergency loads. The estimated cost for each battery system is approximately $160,000 to $270,000. According to the Department of Environment staff, the cost for a lifecycle assessment on a project is approximately fifteen dollars to $20,000. Department staff uh, reported to us that it will not seek um, the department will not seek additional positions to implement the new requirements of the proposed ordinance. And we do consider approval of the proposed ordinance to be a policy matter for the Board of Supervisors.
0: Thank you. Supervisor Safayi.
6: Thank you. Thank you for the great presentation and the work on this. I wanna say 100% aligned uh, with the goals of achieving a net zero uh, by 2040. So I'd like to be added as a co-sponsor to this. The, the thing that I the thing that I would like to recommend, and I don't know if this has happened yet or not, but it it probably would be helpful um, for the department to try and pick a, a municipal building to go through a demonstration project to see actually how difficult and time consuming it is because I can tell you from my own experience in construction what's going to be one of the most difficult aspects is when the electricity capacity upgrade is is required because you're no longer at a certain base level of usage for electricity. Even think about this building, the amount of electricity we use, but then what we're used to heat this building. It would change the capacity load. So once you get into the capacity load, then you're dealing with PG&E and the systems on the outside. You might have to upgrade transformers that perform that work and capacity load. It becomes extremely time consuming and um, costly which i think is worthwhile and i think we should do it but i think it would be good for the department of environment to try to work to have a demonstration project to see actually how time consuming and costly it is and then come back to see what a real realistic cost estimate would be because i don't think this is and i appreciate the work that the bla did based on industry uh experts but i don't think it's anywhere near Uh, what that real number is going to be, even on the high end. Um, So I think that's an important uh, piece of the conversation, because then that allows us to how we're going to plan to achieve the goal. And I think it's a laudable goal. Um, And then we can think about where the actual funds will come from to pay for uh, that work. So, And then I appreciate the construction jobs that are going to be created and the cost savings that will be created in the environmental impact most importantly that will be realized by not using natural gas so I think all of that is important Um, and and finally um, I would just say that the the sooner we can get that understanding uh, the better it will be uh, for us to really achieve this timeline so thank you
19: Um, I just want to add that the city is currently working on four electrification projects right now um, they're underway, so it's the Mission Library, the Chinatown Library, and then the two PUC projects, one's at the zoo and one's at a medical building.
6: And those so, are all moving from natural grass, gas to electric? Oh, that's yeah, wonderful. Yes,
19: so we will be able to um, projects really the document window. the findings from those projects.
6: There you go. You're a step ahead of me. So that's going to be really helpful. That'll, that'll help to inform the overall cost, I think, ultimately. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Seeing no more questions.
1: Oh, um, Madam Chair, uh, Ms. Comerford did point to, uh, uh to Lauren Chavez. I don't know if you wanted to hear from them, but they are online.
11: I
0: think, I think we need to keep it going. I okay. Think that we have the, uh, I think that if the task force member can make public comment, um, to, to this item. So let's move to uh, public comment.
1: Very well uh, members of the public who wish to speak on the side and are joining us in person should line up now uh, for those listening Remotely, please call 415-655-0001 Enter the meeting ID of two four nine zero zero three one two zero seven six. Then pound and pound again uh, once connected press star 3 to enter the speaker line uh, For those already in the queue, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and that'll be your queue to begin your comments um, I Go ahead and um, go ahead and start your comments and I'll start your time
10: Hello, my name is Sarah Greenwald. I live in District 4, and I will be so quick because you've said it all. Uh, I just wanted to add, uh, personally, I am a homeowner, and not long ago, my husband came home from a rainy day, outdoor work, looking forward to a nice, long shower. Of course, the water heater had broken down. Of course, we had to replace it. We really, you know, understanding uh, as, uh, uh, about what's wrong with natural gas, that it's actually methane, a vicious greenhouse gas. We wanted to get an electric one, and as Mr. Safaii, Safai. Uh, Uh, indicated not always possible and wasn't possible in our case. The House couldn't take the, uh, it couldn't get the electricity we needed. So I'm also pleased to see that you're starting with municipal buildings, good idea, Uh, taking the first small step. And this is the kind of planned climate action that we need. And you're so lucky that you have passed a climate action plan, so let's pass this and we'll move along on that. That's it. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Sarah Greenwald, for your comments. Uh, we do have three uh, members of the public listening, with two on the line. Mr. Shiu, if you can unmute her first caller, please.
20: Good afternoon, supervisors. My name is Elena Engel. I'm a resident of District Nine, representing the San Francisco Climate Emergency Coalition and 350 San Francisco. I want to thank the supervisors, particularly Supervisor Mandelman for his leadership on climate and Supervisor Safai for co-sponsoring this legislation now. I ask you to approve the ordinance before you today. The city must lead by example, and it is time we begin the work of decarbonizing existing buildings. An ordinance that mandates replacement with electric systems of burnout makes complete sense. If we do not start now to replace our fossil fuel burning systems, we will be locked into 10, 20, 30 years more of burning natural gas to heat our buildings and our water, as these systems can last a long time. There is no way to meet our 2040 carbon neutral goals, which we know is only 17 years away, if we do not stop adding to our carbon pollution burden now. Please approve these updates to Chapter 7 so we can move forward towards our goals. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much for your comments. Um, Mr. Shu. next commenter, please.
17: Greetings, everyone. My name is Lauren Dietrich Chavez. I am a project manager in the recreation and parks department, capital and planning division. And I'm speaking today as our department's representative on the municipal green building task force and in support of the repeal and replacement of chapter seven green building requirements. Uh, As you heard, the municipal green building task force worked through these updates over the course of a year. And I, like my other task force colleagues, coordinated extensively within the Rec and Park Department, within our department, to ensure that our internal stakeholders are aware of these changes, and that with the changes in place, we will maintain capacity to deliver excellent park projects. As Cindy mentioned, the updated Chapter 7 language cleans up and streamlines the environmental code as it pertains to municipal buildings, and complies with updated code and aligns with the updated LEED standards. It puts us on track to meet the city's bold climate action goals and pushes the envelope on tracking carbon and reducing embodied carbon in construction. Others have mentioned and Rec and Park thinks it's important for the board to understand that these changes to chapter seven, particularly around building electrification, Um, but also solar plus storage requirements for critical care facilities and other amendments uh, represent a significant investment in climate action and resiliency. And these new requirements do not come with funding support to Chapter 6 departments that are delivering capital projects. So it will impact um, the shape of our park improvements as we focus on climate resiliency. Finally, I want to offer special thanks to Eden Bruckman, former Senior build, senior Green Building Coordinator with the Department of the Environment and Convener of the Municipal Green Building Task Force for her leadership on this update.
1: Uh, speaker's Thank time you. has uh, expired. Thank you so much, Lauren Chavez, for your comments. Um, and Madam Chair, that completes your telephonic queue.
0: Thank you. Seeing no more public comments, public comment is now closed. Uh, I would like to move this item Forward with positive recommendation. Mr. Clerk, please call the roll.
1: On that motion to forward this ordinance to the full board with a positive recommendation, Vice Chair Mandelman. Aye. Mandelman, aye. Member Safai. Aye. Safai, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes.
0: Thank you. The motion passes. Mr. Clerk, please call item number 10.
1: Yes, item number 10 is a hearing on the budget and legislative analyst report entitled Economic and Tax Revenue Trends in Downtown San Francisco and requesting to be a labor report. Uh, members of the public who are joining us remotely and wish to provide comment for this hearing, please call 415 655 0001 with a meeting ID of 2490 then press pound twice. Once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. A prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand, and when the system indicates you have been unmuted, that'll be your signal to begin your comments. Madam Chair.
0: Thank you so much, Mr. Clerk. I really uh, appreciate uh, this uh, presentation today uh, by Fred Brusso, Director of Policy Analysis uh, at the Budget and Legislative Analyst uh, colleagues. I first called this, I think that uh, we all actually have similar uh, thinking really about uh, recognizing that downtown has been a core economic engine of San Francisco and we really want to understand, have a better understanding of um, what the, its impact on us and on our city, uh, particularly on economic and tax revenue trends um, overall. And so this is what the hearing is about today. Uh, we re- make this inquiry actually back last year uh, in, in, in summer, I believe in June, anticipating um, it's going to be volatile uh, in terms of our economy. And so we really appreciate the effort that puts in. Uh, it's actually uh, quite some time, and I just also want to uh, highlight uh, Adam uh, Sage uh, Siege, uh for your effort too uh, on this uh, research work. So thank you so much for your presentation today.
21: Uh, thank you <coughs> Chair Chan and Supervisors Mandelman and Safai uh, Fred Rousseau from the Budget and Legislative Analyst's Office. Uh, one minute while I...
1: One second,
15: Mr. Brousseau.
0: just also want to flag that the presentation is in the Legistar file as well.
21: Looks like it's appearing? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Great, thank you. Uh, <clears throat> this morning, uh, this afternoon, I'm going to uh, present a summary of our report issued last week to Supervisor Chan on options for addressing economic and tax revenue trends in downtown San Francisco. <clears throat> Excuse me. And with me today is Adam Seggy a senior analyst who uh, uh, staffed this project. Um, quickly, just a snapshot of what is downtown. It's defined differently by different people. Here's a map showing many of the different uh, sub-areas of downtown. Um, We concentrated for our purposes on four of the sub-areas, the North and South Financial District, North and South of Market Street, the traditional core area, Mid-Market, and Union Square. As you can see on this chart that uh, those four areas comprise 67.5 million square feet of office space out of the total of 86.2 million uh, in the greater downtown area in the area that we looked at. We estimate the number of office jobs in 2019 was 245,505 based on a study by a team of economists that estimated each worker uh, spent $168 a week on average that translates into $2.1 billion in spending from just the office workers in 2019. Um, Of course, things have changed. Uh, The onset of the pandemic in March 2020 shifted many of these workers to uh, remote working. Um, And industries were hit by the absence of the workers. Uh, We report a net decrease of 22,837 private sector jobs across the city between 2019 and 2022. In the intervening year, uh, 2021, the uh, loss was even greater. So jobs have come back to some extent, but we're still at a net decrease from where things were in 2019. Uh, Office attendance has remained uh, low in San Francisco. As of January, it was 43.3% and that's been that's higher than it's been over the nearly three-year period of the pandemic but um, still pretty low and we have translated that uh, office attendance rate into what that means in terms of workers you see the number here uh, uh, we estimate 147,303 fewer office workers downtown and based on that Uh, spending rate I gave you that was uh, that translates into 1.2 billion dollars less in annual expenditures downtown some may uh, be working remotely from homes in San Francisco so there may be offsets that way but for workers who live outside San Francisco uh, of course that is just a loss and we estimate roughly uh, half of those are uh, live outside San Francisco In terms of remote work we have studied uh, research done by others including a a team of economists including Nicholas Bloom who's from Stanford and an expert in remote working economics Uh, this team has concluded that um, remote work is here to stay in some form probably in the hybrid form as is currently the case for many businesses and that's based on a global survey of employers that this uh, team conducted. Uh, In terms of job loss in the city, the losses were not equitable. This chart uh, captures that, showing the difference between 2019 in blue and 2021 in orange, excuse me, 2022 in orange. And you can see where the reductions have occurred were largely in uh, two industries, accommodations and food services and retail trade. So this reflects Uh, what we know has occurred where uh, hotels had to cut back or close. In some cases, during the pandemic, many restaurants reduced their hours or closed. Uh, Retail operations were also affected. Um, Offsetting that on the right side of the chart, we see actually growth in the uh, professional scientific and technical services jobs and information jobs, which is largely uh, software development. So not an equitable distribution of loss uh, during this time. And uh, the losses that I mentioned, the 22,000-plus that, that have gone away are concentrated, again, in, in those um, support service jobs and in industries. Uh, this chart is a table just showing the same information, but in, in uh, tabular form if you prefer to look at it that way. Um, So what we have experienced during the pandemic is of course um, not unique to San Francisco. Other cities have had this same experience um, throughout the world, but what is unique to San Francisco, and this was captured in a study published by the Institute of Governmental Studies at UC Berkeley last year, that compared 62 North American cities uh, in terms of level of activity in their downtown areas uh, throughout the pandemic. And what that showed is that San Francisco has the lowest level of post-pandemic downtown recovery. This is activity level that they tracked by um, cell phone activity in the downtown area. Uh, Our recovery quotient was 31% and that was um, the lowest of the 62 cities studied. And the cities were all in the U.S. or Canada. group also correlated the high rate of um, occupations in the professional scientific and management services industries in San Francisco, all of which are very compatible with remote work, and where San Francisco has a much higher rate of its uh, jobs in those professions than the other 61 cities studied. Um, so compared to the other cities, we are concentrated in fewer industries, and that is adding to our ongoing, uh, high level of remote work. Um, all of this has had impacts in different ways. This chart just tries to combine a number of these indicators. Um, you see pre pandemic on the left where of course the numbers are highest. And then you can see what has happened during the pandemic. With recovery, to some extent, though so still not back to pre-pandemic levels in hotel revenue, uh, measured in revenue per available, per available room, and uh, SFO employment both domestic and international. Domestic has been faster to recover, international slower, but it is coming back, as you can see now, that's the lighter blue line uh, moving upwards. Still, both of those uh, lower than they were pre-pandemic. Um, Office attendance, however, remains quite a bit lower, and that's consistent with the statistics I just gave you. And reflecting that are BART exits at the downtown stations, and that's shown in the green, um, which is also quite low. In fact, even lower than the office attendance rate. Um, This has had a big impact, of course, on our commercial properties downtown. This is showing the changes in office vacancy rates for the uh, four sub-areas we looked at downtown. And you can see all of them have jumped from the fourth quarter of 2019 to the fourth quarter of last year to above 20%, um, 32% in the case of mid-market. But all of them are in the single digits, of course, in 2019 and for years before that. So this is, this is a big jump and represents billions of dollars in uh, potential rent income. In terms of uh, city revenue, which was what uh, Supervisor Chan asked us to focus on, how is all of this trickling down to uh, the city and its revenue? And this is one slice of it, business tax. Um, Here you see what was owed in 2019 from just downtown businesses, and that was $862 million. and then in 2021, you see the drop to 718 million. So a drop of $144 million in business tax owed. Uh, and that's compared to the citywide numbers in the next column over, for which there was uh, the, the reduction wasn't as bad. So the net reduction, though, is still $130 million uh, during those two years. Uh, In terms of property tax, we looked at both outside analyses and city analyses. This table reflects an outside analysis conducted by the Nonpartisan Institute of Taxation and Economic Policy. They studied uh, changes in commercial property values in cities throughout the country. They found San Francisco had some of the worst potential effects and they estimated a reduction and commercial property values of between 27 and 43 percent due to uh, remote working. And we have just run the numbers here of what that would actually mean in terms of revenues uh, with those reductions in assessed value or assessed, uh, in property values, um, starting with a $69 billion base for assessed value on downtown commercial properties and then. Uh, showing what the current property tax revenue would be at the 1% tax rate and how that would change with a reduction of either 27% or 43%. And so what that would translate into annually is a reduction in property tax revenue of between $186 million and $296 million. Um, Of course, with our property tax system, that type of change is not likely to happen all at once because uh, the changes in assessed value occur when uh, there's a change in ownership or an improvement to the building. So it's not likely to be a rapid reduction. But where it does start showing up and can show up very rapidly is in assessment appeals. And we know those have increased in, in the last year or so. And so the more commercial property owners that make those type of requests and where they're Assessed value, which might be lower than their market value, but when that even drops lower, um, they will be requesting assessment appeals, and that has, in fact, been occurring. The numbers are up in terms of appeals being filed. Um, this chart shows forecasts prepared internally, so this is the joint reports that you get from the controller, the mayor's office, and our office, and here we show the difference between. The January 22 five-year forecasts and the January 23 forecasts and so what you see here is these assumptions changing for property tax uh, the total reduction just between the two years is 327 million dollars between fiscal year 23 and fiscal year 26 in assumed property tax revenue so it goes down every year after 23 and this reflects changes in commercial values and the impact of what I was just describing with more owners um, requesting appeals and the assumption being that more will be granted those appeals and that will have an effect on our property tax revenues. Similarly with business tax, the assumptions about uh, future years have changed because of these uh, changes in work patterns. The more people that work remotely and are outside of San Francisco that reduces the businesses, gross receipts, tax, liability, and payments. And that has already shown up as reflected in the chart I presented a couple of slides ago and is assumed to have an ongoing impact that you can see here uh, if you compare January 22 five-year forecast to January 23. Uh, in terms of the other major taxes generated downtown, sales tax, has come back. There was a reduction uh, between 2019 and 2021 that was more concentrated. The downtown reduction was higher than the rest of the city. Um, But there has been some improvement in that, and you see that uh, going out uh, for the next couple of years, Uh, slight improvement in the January 23 forecast versus January 22. Hotel tax is also forecast to uh, continue coming back. And that has certainly shown up and showed up in our earlier indicator of uh, improved uh, hotel occupancy and revenues. However, I should point out that that uh, the largest number in fiscal year 26, the 382.9 million is still lower than it was in fiscal 19 before the pandemic when hotel tax was at an even uh, higher rate. So this is an improvement, it's an improving um, set of circumstances, but we're still catching up with where things uh, were before the pandemic. The net effect of these four is shown on the bottom line here with a uh, reduction in forecast revenues between now and fiscal year 26 of $618.7 million. We have a series of recommendations. I um, We've structured them as, Uh, challenges strategies that the Board of Supervisors could adopt and then recommendations for specific action I won't go through um, all of the language on these but just to give you the idea there's the tax revenue risks that I just highlighted and we have uh, recommendations that the Board of Supervisors continue its process that will be part of the budget review process obviously for this year but continue review and assessment of potential budget reductions and or revenue increases uh, looking, <coughs> excuse me, looking out to the out years. Uh, decreased foot traffic is another challenge. Um, as we know, with uh, downtown office workers gone and the reduction in visitors, r- reduction in conventions, uh, that's hurt small businesses and neighborhood vitality. There are some initiatives underway by the Office of Economic and Work Development Uh, and SF Travel, our um, private uh, travel bureau for the city of San Francisco. Um, So we recommend that the board work with those two organizations on uh, potential programs and interventions to make sure they are sufficiently funded but also uh, to get results on what has happened with the initiatives that are underway now and if in fact we're uh, seeing an increase in foot traffic. And we also recommend working with the uh, Municipal Transportation Agency on ways to improve citywide and regional transit. While BART is, of course, separate from the city and county of San Francisco, uh, that the ridership is down, there are concerns about, you know, BART service and the conditions on BART, and there may be a role for the city to intervene in uh, improving BART service, as well as our own muni system. Vacant commercial space is another challenge downtown. Uh, We recommend that the board work with the Office of Economic and Workforce Development on uh, programs incentivizing creative leasing arrangements, such as co-location, short-term subleasing, and other initiatives that can reduce risks for commercial landlords and increase the vibrancy and vitality of particularly ground floor uh, uh, commercial space downtown. Um, Reliance on a small number of industries, challenge number four. Uh, That's, again, getting back to this point that, you know, we've had a lot of our jobs concentrated in tech, finance, and um, service businesses, uh, which, again, lend themselves to remote work. So that has not been helpful for us in terms of recovering. Long term, uh, there are reasons to have a more diverse Economy, different types of industries represented. Some of that could be encouraged potentially through incentives, or planning, and zoning code changes that might uh, assist different types of businesses coming down or other incentives. So we recommend the board work with the planning department and the Office of Economic and Workforce Development on a strategy for diversifying the industry mix in San Francisco. And specifically, I just want to say the um, The tech industry isn't going away in our opinion, but what this means is industries that um, might require more of a physical presence and improve the number of workers downtown, such as the life sciences, um, healthcare facilities, that type of thing. And finally, limited housing supply, the fifth challenge. There's a a limited uh, supply of housing downtown, um, particularly compared to some other cities. We recommend that the board work with the Planning Department, uh, the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development, and the Office of uh, Economic and Workforce Development to work on existing initiatives underway for increasing housing construction downtown. This would be both affordable housing but also market rate, um, including adopting some uh, legislative proposals to streamline housing construction and commercial property conversion. you may realize or have we, the uh, report we issued in January on uh, repurposing commercial uses to residential in San Francisco, which has very specific recommendations in um, in more detail uh, for this particular area, um, and the the general goal being to create a ministerial path for awarding permits to certain types of conversion, such as offices to housing, perhaps with a certain Requirement for affordable um, to increase the housing inventory in the downtown area. So that is the summary of our report. Um, Adam Sege and I are here and can respond to any questions or comments. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much, uh, Director brusso I, I, uh, as I went, as you went through this report, and and I, you know, went through this report in greater details. I think the two takeaways. From based on your research, is that um, the loss of both business tax and property tax are here to stay? It seems like um, we've been suffering that, and and it seems like we will continue to to suffer. Um, We do not have, sort of, right at this moment, be able to immediately curb the loss of both tax revenues.
21: Um, the curve in time or yeah well what we have with the uh, forecast is certainly through fiscal year 26 so um, and and the loss being in property tax where the numbers actually forecast to go down slightly um, but again getting back to the uh, the comparison of the two years where you see uh, a big drop and that's where it's in you know the hundreds of millions of dollars from what was expected just a year ago. So what that means is as our expenses go up and they are forecast to go up, just kind of keeping everything the same beyond what that loss is. So that's, uh, I think, you know, we can get through the current year, but as you look out over the next three and four years, uh, there won't be the resources that we expected a year ago to work with to fund existing programs let alone anything new
0: thank you and I, I and i think the second point or second takeaway that i uh, want to com- confirm is that um, just looking at your slide uh, five the changes in citywide private sector jobs and looking at the job losses and job gains um, during um, the 2019 to the 2022 time period we see the average that it seems uh, the job, the the greatest job loss really uh, are within the industry that have the most uh, wage earning workers.
21: Correct, yes, that's absolutely right, Chair Chan, and accommodation, food services, restaurant workers, hotel maids, uh, people working at the counter in hotels as well, but those, those were particularly hard hit, and that's where we see the largest job loss.
0: And that part of that job loss certainly sort of it becomes a missing part of this ecosystem of a healthy local economy when you have a significant job loss and uh, just a sector that's basically missing definitely hurts the overall health of the economy.
21: That's correct and uh, to the extent office workers were supported by people in these jobs and the office workers aren't here anymore so it's. There is a relationship between them and um, the office workers who are working remotely are probably doing OK unless they've been laid off in the wave of tech layoffs, which, by the way, we see as a temporary phenomenon. Um, but uh, the workers who supported them are the ones who have definitely felt the
6: impact more strongly.
0: Thank you. Kali Sue. So you have any questions? No, I just
6: say I appreciate this update. I mean, this is some of the information that we had been getting in our our ongoing working group. Um, so thank you, Supervisor Chan, Chair Chan, for calling this. Um, it is somewhat dire because of the office occupancy. I know a lot of people have been pushing back on some of the things that I have said, <laughs> have been saying about returning to work. I think. This really puts it into context. It doesn't mean people have to abandon a flexible work schedule. I know that's something you care deeply about, Chair Chan, as do I, and I think you can balance those things uh, given the the reality of the the new economy, but the impact that it will have going forward for all of the things that we care about, basic city services, our social safety net, our ability to provide you know safe and clean streets I mean it's impacted and it will be impacted and so uh, we have to figure out ways um, I know that there's some short-term um, tax conversation tax breaks that the mayor has proposed uh, but this is working in the margins I mean the larger conversation is going to be how do we get office occupancy back up how do we utilize that space and how do we get people back into the area of our city which represents about 70 percent of our GDP that that is what we've learned from your team and others um, that this is that crucial and how it will impact the future of our city so we have to do everything we can what we've heard over and over again is that people want first and foremost for a lot of the businesses a lot of the building owners and those that represent and work with people that will occupy and businesses that will occupy the buildings. They want to know that there's that that there's safety is going to be provided and that the streets are going to be cleaned. So I think in the next two weeks we're going to be having this conversation. There's two supplemental budget requests one of which will be for additional policing and uh, and then the second one uh, which was generated uh, here at the board uh, will be for additional cleaning and ensuring the streets are clean. And so I think those things hopefully will provide the setting for some additional um, motivation for people to come back to the office.
0: Thank you, Supervisor Savayi So seeing um, no more questions, I just want to thank you. I, I uh, Through this exercise, I have to say that really helped leads me to really think about um, the future of not just our downtown, but the entire San Francisco, like uh, how we are actually connected, um, and all sectors are actually connected, both from the wage earners to the office workers, uh, business both big and small, and how we actually interact uh, throughout, and if one sector is not working, or one area is not working, it's not really working for the entire city. Um, So, but I am also in a, uh, wanted to have a balanced approach to understand that not throwing all the re- resource to one areas and then neglecting the rest and to understand that again it's a it, it in order to build a healthy economy local economy it, it, it's require us to actually work in all sectors and in and including some of the Mentioned that you have mentioned is to diversify our workforce, diversify our business sectors so that we can actually maintain that ecosystem in a sustainable manner. So I really appreciate it. Um, seeing no more questions from my colleagues, thank you so much. Um, and let's go to public comments on this item.
1: Yes, members of the public who wish to speak on this hearing and are joining us in person lineup line now. <clears throat> For those listening remotely, please call 415 655 0001. enter the meeting ID of two four nine zero zero three one two zero seven six then press pound twice once connected press star three to enter the speaker line if you're already in the queue please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and that'll be a signal to begin your comments seeing no in-person speakers here in the chamber and madam chair we have no speakers in the queue
0: Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Seeing no more public comment, public comment is now closed. Colleagues, I suggest that uh, I'm going to make the motion to file this hearing. Um, I know that we have more items to come, both around a very similar topic, but in, from different perspectives. Um, Supervisor Safai.
6: The only thing I would say, just for your consideration, I think what's been helpful in the past is that we continue the item of the call of the chair and then maybe ask them to come back quarterly and give us an update to see where the economic trends are if, if that's okay with you, Madam Chair.
0: I am fine with that as, long as that's fine with Director Brusto. He nodded, so uh, thank you. And uh, Vice Chair Mendelman.
9: Uh, thank you, Chair Chan. And uh, just rem- a reminder, colleagues, that the um, controller and treasure tax collector are working on a little analysis we asked for a while back and should, in the next couple of months, I think be giving us some broad outlines of some of what we, what we might think about doing in terms of
6: you know, revenue looking at twenty twenty four. So that's great. That'll 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 all play off one another. Sorry. Yeah.
0: Thank you, Vice Chair Mandelman. So with that, thank you so much for your suggestion. I'll make the motion to continue to the call of Chair. Please call the roll.
1: Yes, on that motion that this hearing uh be continued to the call of the chair. Uh Vice Chair Mandelman. Aye. Mandelman I member Safai. Safai I Chair Chan. Aye. Chan aye. We have three ayes. Thank you uh, that concludes the Budget and Finance Committee business.
0: Thank you. The meeting is adjourned.